Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 876 with Troy Hooper. Somebody does exactly what you do, but then they also do these other things that people care about and want to connect with and want to support. Now they're going to win. Now you're vulnerable. So you, you need both. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, a company you've been hearing me reference a lot on the show lately, and that's because they're awesome. And I want to make sure you know about some new e-learning courses they have available right now. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that can help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So these courses I'm talking about, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant leans more towards the spirits, then make sure you take the interactive course on spirits and food pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate their dining experience and help you improve your check averages. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and Talk to the Manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. You can support our sponsors. You can support our affiliates. Those are all the tools that are recommended on the show. And you can share this podcast with anybody and everyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. And lastly, just come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. We're actually going to have a lot of cool stuff coming your way soon. But today, we're talking to Troy Hooper. So Troy is number one, our first interview out of nine interviews on this road trip to Los Angeles and Salt Lake City. And we started off really well. And uh, Troy got on my radar. Uh, You know, uh, Jason Berkowitz recommended him. Um, I reached out to a few other people who, who I think... Uh, Sean Walshef recommended him to me. Uh, just being in town, uh, listening to people, his name kept on coming up. And within the network, his name keeps on coming up. Uh, so I said, you know, we got to get this guy on the show. He's doing some really interesting thing, uh, things with Nourish, which is this concept of integrating all alleys, all avenues of hospitality, whether it's digital, whether it's pickup, whether it's delivery, whether it's dining, all under one roof. Eight concepts under one roof uh, at one countertop. Uh, it's really interesting. You, you can plug and play this thing everywhere. We, we talk about that. We also get into his history. He's got a history. Uh, he's from Miami. He went to culinary school. He was focused on back of house at first, but that uh, back of house, he had some bad experiences early on in his career. I don't know if that was at Bennigan's, but he got that corporate experience at Bennigan's. He was all over the Caribbean and the Bahamas, uh, just working, hoping, helping to open, uh, resorts and hotels, focusing on fine dining, front of house work, uh, which eventually brought him to Vail, Colorado, where I think he actually followed his wife to Vail, Colorado. They met in the Bahamas and the Caribbean, uh, which eventually brought them to California where Troy got involved with private golf clubs, uh, private golf events, and eventually, he got back into the restaurant industry. He was always consulting on the side with his with his business, uh, Kiwi, Re- Kiwi Restaurants. Uh, and now it sounds like Kiwi Restaurant Partners is the mother company to all these cool projects he's got going on. And uh, it's a really great episode. So with no further ado, here he is, Troy Hooper. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and CEO of both Kiwi Restaurant Partners and Nourish, Troy Hooper. My man, Troy, are you feeling unstoppable today? Incredibly unstoppable. Yes, that is what we like to hear. So, man, I, I enjoyed looking you up this morning because I, I started to dive in. I was like, this guy has been all over the place. And I, and I see records of you starting Kiwi Restaurant Partners all the way back to 2005. But it sounds like that was more of like a parent company that you're doing consulting under. But then in 2018, you really like decided to maybe pivot. I don't know what the heck's going on, but you clearly have a really interesting background uh, working in uh, corporate and fine dining. And today you, you launched Nourish, which is this really neat concept of it seems like you're putting brands on fast tracks. Like you're just kind of creating these, these paths for them and like saying, OK, you have a good idea. Now let's put you in the system to really catch fire is that that is right that is dead on we look at it as a platform before anything i love a way of getting an idea out there 
quickly and successfully. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to be here too because honestly, like you haven't been called out officially on the show. However, it seems like every other conversation I have, especially during the pandemic and this conversation about ghost kitchens and who's doing it right and who can we learn from at ghost kitchens, your name kept coming up from multiple different people. And then I even spoke to Jason Berkowitz, who was a past guest on the show because he's based in Los Angeles. I let him know I was coming to town and he said I need to talk to you. So, man, all signs are pointing to Troy Hooper right now. So. Well, that's that's awfully generous. I appreciate that. I don't hopefully I've earned uh, earned some portion of what you've said. No pressure. There. No pressure. No pressure. Okay. I'll try. All right. I cannot wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My, it just goes back to uh, something I learned uh, probably about 18, 20 years ago, and that is seek first to understand, then be understood. And that's a Stephen Covey quote. Uh, I, I found Covey by accident, and uh, it has served me very, very, very well for somebody who's very ambitious and high speed. Uh, it, it it means for me to slow it down and think before I speak and ask before I tell. And having been in a lot of leadership roles, that's a super important quality. So I do try to remind myself of that almost every day. I love that quote. One of the seven habits of highly effective people. You got it. And uh, I love that quote because what is empathy? Right, empathy is trying to understand the other person's perspective, and it's hard to understand if you don't listen, if you don't really try to take in what it is. Like, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're what what it what it's like from your angle, from your perspective. And until you open up that dialogue to take it in, you you just don't know. Also, people will like why go into an, a, a dispute or a conversation without as much data as possible. You know, people will tell you exactly what they want to hear if you let them tell you right you know and if, if, if you're ever going to negotiation or if you're just trying to have a conversation or whatever if you just keep your mouth shut and ask questions and listen they will give you all the information you need it's a very powerful state of mind yeah you know and after a lifetime of putting your foot in your mouth you tend to say huh maybe if i take in some perspectives here i i, I gather information uh rather than find out through failure you know try to mandate something and find out hey uh but what about this or you did you think about that it's, it's better to kind of gain that um that intel first and then obviously by doing that you gain collaboration you gain trust you gain input you know you gain uh investment from you know whoever you're working with whether it's a partner or a customer or most importantly you know a staff and employee member that you need to get to move in a certain direction so uh you just you know through trial and error when you when you ask and you get information uh and and then you know you have more than what you can just produce on your own brain you know, it's going to serve you better to be more successful more quickly. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? I know that you you grew up in the in the hospitality industry, nightclubs. I know you're from Miami. I know you went to Johnson and Wales. I know yeah. you studied culinary. I know that you kind of had a, a few bad experiences early on in the, the culinary world. But where do you want to start today's story? Yeah, no, I mean, it, I did. My, my dad owned a couple of construction companies, but really was a kind of a playboy at heart, loved the nightclub industry. Uh, he met my mother on New Year's Eve in a nightclub on Miami Beach that he was a part owner and operator of. Uh, back then, there were private clubs. Uh, 
Uh, and so I, until like recently in LA, I didn't know what really, a, what was that meant a private social or dining club, but, but that was real popular in the eighties. So I grew up in that environment, um, just in the service and hospitality space, really, uh, didn't know much else between construction and that and college football. Those were my passions. So, uh, by the time I was 16, uh, I was a bus boy in a Bennigan's. Okay. Uh, everybody can look up what a Bennigan's is. They're still around, uh, sort of, but, uh, early age, uh, TGI Fridays, uh, or competitor. And, uh, and, you know, very quickly thought, Hey, I love cooking. I grew up my dad having parties and, you know, special events. And I love to be in the kitchen and making those meat platters of the seventies and eighties with the rolled meats and the to- colored toothpicks, you know? And, uh, so I went to Johnson and Wales. I wanted to be a chef. I thought that was it. I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to own a restaurant. That's going to be my life. And, uh, did that and worked in restaurants while going to school made it up to sous chef by the time I graduated. Um, and, and, you know, I guess I thought the corporate food and beverage world was, was the more secure place to go. And that's where those sort of, um, negative, uh, situations happen where, you know, it's just super high pressure. They're going to work you like a dog. They're going to pay you terribly. They're going to yell at you. You know, it's going to be very regimented. And I was a more free flowing kind of guy. The corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, we would expect to not, hear that maybe in the 90s it yeah. was a different time 90s yeah. uh i'm guessing this was early 90s early 90s yeah, yeah. early mid 90s and uh you know and it could just be you know bad luck i picked a couple of spots and um and they just burnt me out real quick you know yeah. and and i had a lot of interest and ambition on the business side of it Get right into detail about the bad the ugly the stuff that we don't want to see again really paint that picture the things that should just be outdated Can absolutely cliche screaming, yelling, berating, you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, how did you ever get in here, you know, just over like, you know, messing up a batch of of whatever, right, you know, not slicing the tomatoes to spec exact or whatever, um, just just poor leadership, you know, just uh, high growth and mentality, you know, data driven, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, uh, brought up from within, whether you're ready or not to be the leader of that business, you know, uh, I, you know, just, just, there's not a lot of great, uh, culture, uh, built in. And, and honestly, it's funny when you look back at that now and realize that 20 of my 30 years in this industry are around building great cultures and, uh, repairing and turning around businesses in a variety of genres and venue models. Um, that, that part of my career, I think, stemmed from, trying to be the opposite of that and 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 helping fix environments and businesses where it was very clear that that was the that was the problem right that was the thumb on the business that was holding it back so um you know I, I, looking back that's it's definitely where that so mentality back was of born. House during this time right so yeah early on back of the house kitchen only chef driven i wanted to be a chef so when you graduated did you go back to bennigan's or were you working in other no i ended up in i did end up um at you know like anything i went to school and uh graduated culinary school and was like okay i, I still want to get my bachelor's degree i'm interested in the business my dad being an entrepreneur you know really stressed he was a mathematician like nobody I'd ever seen, and I hated math, so sort of had to force myself to understand economics and really get into it so I could understand the business side, because ultimately, I did want to own my own restaurant. So I did end up at a family, we'll call it a Italian pub, a college Italian pub, and uh, and that's Miami. This is all Miami. I'm in Miami my whole life until I'm 26 years old, and... Um, 
And and so in that environment, I, I was given a little bit of an opportunity to understand menu uh, engineering and economics and uh, daily sales and pro- uh, forecasting for production, things like that. So, you know, I really got interested in the business side of it. What were the key elements it. about menu engineering that you learned during the assignment? Things like just common things that, or things that you know that you just think surprisingly just aren't common knowledge as when it comes to menu engineering. Yeah, honestly, looking at actual data, like looking at sales, like, hey, this uh, we love this menu item. We're really uh, invested in this menu item. But it's not selling. Now, why is it not selling? Did we not describe it well? Are the, are the, are the staff not really invested in explaining it? Or, or, or do they even explain the menu to anybody at all? Um, really looking at sales and data, right? So that's, that's sort of that, once that unlock happened for me, I went all in. I got real interested Who in analytics. Um, the, the leadership, the ownership, it was, that was a family business. And on the corporate side too, right? Um, you know, in the corporate stores, when you would get your daily prep and your and your weekly sales reports, um, and, and you know, in corporate you have a lot of limited offers, right? LTOs, so they're going to roll a commercial out, you know, for X new item, seasonal item, or new invention item, uh, and so you know there was always uh, pressure around making those work, you know, spiffing that sale to the sales floor, you know, to what, the servers. What's the reason for that though? When you have an LTO, a limited time offer, why is it so, why is there so much pressure to make them work? Well, generally because they're, they're trying to, um, they're trying to drum up a lot of business in a short period of time, right? They're trying to, uh, really spike up the sales in a short period of time and take advantage of whether it's a season or a holiday, right? And you know, you're thinking about the TGI Fridays and, and Olive Gardens of the world type environment, right? Chilies and macaroni grill, you know, they're, they're having to do something to competitively bring people back in and give them something new. And, and generally they're going to engineer those to be, a fairly profitable item, right? It's going to be a, a low cost production item that they can get a, you know, 1995 steak out of that costs them three bucks. So what's the psychology behind that? Why is it so important to do a limited time offer, which is something you see a lot of corporations and chains do. They're always trying to get your attention with something, but what, what's going on there? Like, what's the psychology? They shiny wheel, right? The shiny object. If can I get your attention and have you come try something that you would not be able to or doesn't exist somewhere else? I mean, the McRib, right? Why does it keep coming back every X years on kind of on a schedule? Um, you know, it's just grabbing attention. It's just another story to tell. It's a new story or the same old story to recycle, right? It's a way to create juxtaposition that you're already doing. Like, oh, look, something new and special, like. And it's only a limited time offer, so you better come in soon. Right. And it's just a way when you're when when you have a, a set menu that that doesn't change often. It's a way to create a, a sense of maybe FOMO or right. a, just to pull people in. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and you know they are. You'll notice not so much at the corporate level. The McDonald's of the world still do them, but they do them a lot less. Um, they put more thought and time and energy into whether they'll kind of work preemptively and what they'll get out of it. Um, because, you know, I think as a, as a people, we've evolved a little bit beyond that, that trick. Like we've learned that trick. And so I, I think we want as, as consumers, we want to connect better and more and more meaningfully with businesses in general. We want there to be a story. So I think that rather than, um, really focusing on what's the next new shiny object, really now we're talking about storytelling, right? Now we're talking about, 
really understanding what what the menu item is, where did it come from, who who's inspiring it, what why did we make a decision to put that on there, what's unique about it, you know, who's that for? Is that you know when you have a menu, if if, if it's got a fair amount of uh, variety to it, you know, you're, what you're trying to do is cover the whole demographic of that micro market. You're trying to say that we've got something for you, and in the only way for people to know about it is is if you tell a story around it. So we're seeing uh, more of that. And I think that is resonating and, and giving it longer legs rather than this. Oh, this thing's only around for 30 days or 45 days. You know, we've got something, we've done a menu. We have a reason behind it. We want you to understand what's on it. And we're going to tell the story around each thing. Why do you think there was this shift of going towards just a kind of like, you know, shiny object, the, the approach of just like, let's just try to catch your attention right now to this more, this approach that you're, you're talking about impact, depth, story, what's going on there? Why is that the evolution of marketing? Consumer maturity and deafening around the volume of marketing, right? So with the maturity of the internet, you know, if you think about where did you see information pre-iPhone, right? Pre-social media. And of course, being a bit older and starting in the early 90s, you know, it was the traditional TV, TV, radio, print, blah, blah, blah. Board, yeah. Well, now you're getting bombarded constantly. So it's harder to stand out, yeah. right? It, even you don't even know it anymore. Yeah. Now, like you're subconsciously constantly like everything you do, the data that like we're being tracked, everything. If you have a phone on you, and you didn't turn off the like the the data the options. everything like <laughs> you're being followed you're being like you everything you do your behavior is being used to market to you right and it's, so that volume right now yeah. it, it it's very hard to stand out and so little tricks or or gimmicks or you know something that's like oh only right now and you're like yeah yeah right it's going to come back in 6 months i'll just you know whatever if i'm around it around to it and 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 by the way it's not just food and beverage it's retail it's it's every segment within retail it's all the new ways to order things you know it's just constant and so um i just don't think that trick makes sense um, because it's not going to resonate. There yeah. has to be a connecting point. There has to be a plug-in, yeah, you getting, and that, that's not going to do it anymore. You started talking about story, and uh, basically what, what I was hoping would, in, um, it's coming out, but this, I, this idea that we're, as marketers, and as we learn more about human behavior and the science of humans and how we are, why we are the way we are, how we tick, what's going on internally, the power of story and really pulling on the strings of hearts and getting people to identify with specific things. So if you if you know who your target market is and you know what appeals to them, you can tell a narrative to that will help really like get that specific person that has the same values and the things that are important to you or are important to them is conscious capitalism and leaning into that, right? Yeah, conscious capitalism I think is one of the words that, that that is starting to be understood a little bit more. Uh, again, it comes back to recognizing humans are humans, and to motivate humans, you have to connect with them on a more meaningful level. Than now, to say that is is that's the long tail. That's the that's the make a connection, make a long time lifetime value customer more valuable to your business. Convenience and removing friction is still first, mm-hmm. right? Making it easy, making it fast, making it consistent. Those are the things we all still care about at the highest level. But beyond that, once you've met that, once there's a trust relationship built there that that is understood and I can, I can rely on those elements. It's that. And then it really comes down to, and now it's then what, right? So, so now it's like, so what beyond that? Because the, 
everybody it's going to become a commodity right the more you know mcdonald's and fast food like that's a commodity in that it's predictable and it's consistent don't quality irregardless of what somebody thinks sometimes you'll just settle because it's the only choice or it's the fastest choice or it's the least friction uh between you and what you need to do but in 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 the consumer that kind of wants to take a beat and think about it for a minute there's got to be more there, right? Okay, yes, it's fast. Yes, it's close. Yes, I can get it delivered. It's convenient. It's pretty consistent. I know what I like there. I can get that when I am in the mood for that or if I need it, I know that I know what I'm going to get from that. And then it's the then what? So so who are they really? What is their motivation? What do they care about? Why do they exist? What are they doing? Like, am I hurting the environment? Am I, am I helping my community by supporting them? Those now become part of the conversation sort of as the second tier, but the more important tier, the more important piece of it, because that's what drives long-term relationships. Because if somebody does exactly what you do, but then they also do these other things that people care about and want to connect with and want to support. Now they're going to win. Now you're vulnerable. So, so you, you need both sides need both. of it. And, and like, I think that there is this, a lot of our market was built on this idea of, of easy, fast and consistent value added. And I think that that's important because yeah, you do need to create a path of least resistance, obviously, but at what cost? Right. And I, and I think at, at we kind of reached this point of like, we can we still make this a priority is fast, easy and convenient. The most, important thing and if it is should we should that be the case like should we change it should consciousness take a little bit more of a center stage of like is this what's best for everybody is this what's best for our environment i think that's starting to kind of bounce out a it little is bit right it is now. and you know quite frankly i don't think most people really realize it but one of my favorite examples of this is sweet green yeah and why, why did sweet green come on so hard so fast so big why why is there such a connection and a loyalty there what's really going on and when you really look at it it's like yeah yeah all of that solved all uh, convenience and location and we're gonna make it we're gonna have outposts and we're, we're just gonna make that easy that, that that's a not let's really talk about what we're trying to do here we're trying to support regional and seasonal ingredients we're trying to do foods that are good for the environment in regards to you know no pesticides no gmos those kinds of stories that they're trying to tell they really do a great job of telling the human side you know who who works at a sweet greens and why are they here they're not here for a job they're here for a mission right and so really selling the mission and and that total vision of uh inclusivity and diversity um with the humans with the food with the support of the local farmer They've really put a package together and said, oh, by the way, and you can get it anywhere you want really fast, really consistent. You can build what you want. We're going to have fresh new ideas based on the seasons changing. All that's going to be great. You know, the only limiting factor is, is do you want salad, right? Or do you want a quinoa bowl or do you want? So, so innovation is going to always have to be on their, on their roadmap of what can we do to kind of change it up and give people more variety. But man, they've done such a great job with that full package and really focusing on what I think today's consumer and realize, you know, we, if you build something today, a new brand, a new concept, a new venue model, et cetera, you're really building it for who your customer is five to 10 years from now. Yeah. It's not really, it's not a this or that, this or that being easy, fast, convenient, or thoughtful, impactful, conscious, it's yes and it has to be and 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 yeah yes. and that's kind of where we are in today's age but back to your timeline so miami you said up to the age of 26 let's just real quick like let's zoom up to like thirty thousand feet and yeah like, and, and entertain me without getting into any detail yeah. 
you're 26 years old. Um, wh- what were the stops along the way that you made until 2018? Because I know that's when you started Nourish, which is like your your main focus today. Yeah, yeah. So so I've I I went from um, I got burnt out as a chef. I went to Procter and Gamble corporate America in the sales side. Happened to be on the food side, which was great. Past guest or past sponsor of the show, Procter and Gamble. Yeah, thank very, you very good. Much. <laughs> uh, great company. Learned a lot. They invest a lot in you. I did very very well there um, on on all metrics. Um, really matured. Uh, found Stephen Covey uh, and the Seven Habits during that, uh, and, and really really was uh, you know rocketed to let's call it professional maturity. Uh, while I was there, I was still getting people asking about help my business, you know, you know, can, can you help us? You know, you're, you're in a lot of other businesses. Can you help us uh, do, do better? What's going on? What's happening? You're really understanding the power of a sales role is really as a consultant. It's really as an information gatherer and provider and First seek to understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I'm just very curious. And, and, and I got my business degree while I was there uh, really, really got focused on what is a good business? What is a good business model? How do you make a business work and, and how do you pivot and how do you, what are those fundamentals that, that are always true? What are those uh, ground rules? And so, um, after Procter and Gamble, I kind of got burnt out after a number of years there. I took a break. Um, I got into other businesses. I made some investments. What's the year? When did you leave Procter and Gamble? 2006. Got it. Yeah. So 2006. Um, I owned, uh, I invested in a dive shop. Uh, scuba center. Uh, it's part of my life. I've always been uh, heavily involved in water sports and yachting. I, uh, it's fu- some funny things about me that people don't know is, uh, I have, uh, at one time I had a 500 ton yacht captain. I worked on three of the largest 10 yachts in the world. Wow. Still hospitality though, right? At the end of the day, it was still part of that hospitality yeah, drive, serving people, bringing people to great places. Have you ever seen that show below deck? Oh my oh gosh. My God, I got sucked it's really it. true. <laughs> In some respects. And then, uh, you know, on the bigger, bigger things, it's, it's, it's not so common. They don't yeah. put up with that. But, uh, you know, so I, I dabbled around. I ended up in the Caribbean for about six years and I got bored and uh, I really wanted to stretch the entrepreneurial leg. I really wanted to stretch the hospitality leg and just, you know, through knowing people, meeting people, telling people I'm ready for something. Uh, I got brought to a development in the Bahamas that, that they were building a brand new resort, the largest resort in the Bahamas, largest marina in the Bahamas. Um, hey, can you come here and help us build out some of the elements of this? We start. I started in the um, in the amenities side of. So what, what's the year now? Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. So, what were you doing to develop a rapport and a reputation for yourself as being somebody to go to to help? open like what was your role in opening the largest resort in bahamas yeah so i was initially brought in to help um build completely build out the amenities the activities hey you know yachting you know caribbean you know resorts uh you obviously know food and beverage uh how can we bring all these together and and put together a package of activities and uh and amenities and and things for people to do at this resort or near this resort and so i ended up building out that business for that resort. Um, and of course, while there, you get to hang out with all the other guys doing the resort stuff. So yeah. all the chefs and food and beverage guys coming from all over the world. It's not to a come. horrible place to be trapped. Yeah. You know, it was managed by Vail Resorts. So they were bringing people from the best resorts from around the world in. So I'm getting to meet, you know, top executives and, and top management people making friends. And that's really what like, okay, you know what? 
I think the hotel side of this, the food and beverage hotel side of this is really exciting. I met my wife there. That's really what happens. I meet my wife. We, uh, she gets transferred back to Colorado. We end up in Vail, Colorado, where she was before because she had been there on assignment to help that and other resorts, uh, do what she does on the, on the, um, uh, wedding and event side, social destination side. And, um, and so it was sort of like, Hey, if this is going to continue, I'm going back to Colorado. And I said, look, I've been in the Caribbean for five and a half years. Sure. Why not? Mountains? Well, I love Colorado. That'd be cool, right? It is a gorgeous place. It is another gorgeous. place that doesn't exist or play another place that, that doesn't suck to exist. Yeah. Is Vail, Colorado. The, the Rockies are gorgeous. So I go to Colorado and the way it works out is we end up in Breckenridge ultimately and Vail and Hilton corporate uh, go in in a partnership to take over a lodge, a kind of a one off mom and pop lodge. They're going to convert it into a hotel. It's Hilton's first on uh, ski run resort and hotel in the world. They name it a double tree because at the time Hilton didn't have 25 different levels of boutique brands that they had created that they have today. And um, I had the great opportunity to get invited to help build out and rebuild that resorts. Uh, first of all, make a, a lodger resort and build out the food and beverage offering. So they said, Hey, you have a lot of experience. You're a chef. We need to hire chefs. We need a concept. We need to design that concept, design the menu. Um, we need to come up with what is that marketing plan conversation? And really the challenge was how do you get people in Breckenridge, Colorado to come to this hotel up the hill on the run if they're not staying there and enjoy a food and beverage offering? How, how do we get them? Well, we have to build something that is competitively relevant. We have to build something that is perceived as much higher quality than you would get at a Doubletree or other hotel product. Um, we have to be unique, right? And we have to tell that story. And so we went with a farm to fork concept. Uh, basically, farm to table was too common and whatnot. We went to farm to fork mentality. We actually sourced all of our uh, food within let's call it a five-state region touching Colorado, um, went out and actually selected the ranchers and, uh, and, and took advantage of the produce that was in some of the valleys. And we created a fantastic, cool concept, uh, obviously very beer-centric, very whiskey-centric, which is very Colorado at the time. A lot of beer tourism and whiskey tourism there, uh, distillery tourism. And, and, and that just parlayed into, great, we need a kind of a private lounge for our diamond guests. Uh, you know, we have an opportunity with Starbucks to do a grab and go cafe lobby. So we tore down the wall and connected the back of the kitchen to the lobby and put out a, a Starbucks branded, uh, co-branded Hilton grab and go, uh, small warm bistro. And so that's where the juices start flowing around creating ideas and concepts, justifying the why to a, a corporate entity that says, that's great. Cool idea. Why? How? Money. What's it going to do? Forecasting, really getting into the business side, really developing the entrepreneurial spirit within a corporate structure, but a corporate structure that had a lot of money and a lot of motivation and being under that high pressure because basically the top five from Hilton and the top five from Vail Resorts was probably already always in the building every day of the week. Like at some point, somebody was there, right? So you're always on your game, always on your toes, really trying to deliver very, very high quality in a very high pressure, high volume environment. So Breckenridge really sets us up as a company to uh, it's Kiwi Hospitality Partners is the parent company. It's the company I created for our consulting business. And, um, and I had had it for a while because I had done different things, little projects, you know, one-on-one -on -one consultings. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to 
provide these types of services to people who want to create concepts that are unique, one-off, but I also want to do scalability. I want to do businesses that can replicate. I want to make sure that what we're doing is sustainable beyond a one-off environment. So, um, so we say one-off environment, you're talking like within the four walls of a hotel. Yeah, a, a single activation, one brand, one place, one story, one style. Don't rinse and repeat, move on, right? Got it. I, I, I really got interested in if it's scalable, it's sustainable, right? Anybody can create a great idea. We see lots of fantastic one-off restaurants built by celebrity people, chefs and investors and things. But, you know, sometimes, particularly in uh, fickle and finicky environments like Beverly Hills, California, uh, something that costs $5 million to open five years from now might not be here, right? Because it was built for that moment, for that niche, for that gap in the market and now we're onto the new thing. So some environments, yeah. some markets Which is why I, demand I that. tend to not pay attention to trends. Right. People are always chasing trends. I agree. Trends are something that you do for a limited time offer. Because exactly. you don't know how long exactly. that's going to be around. You don't want to invest millions of dollars yep. into a trend. By the time you get the financing, by the time you get the build out, two years after the trend was a thing, is it even relevant anymore by the time your doors are open? Like, right. Don't trade. I, I just... Be the, the trend setter, not the right. trend chaser. Right. right. Um, so 2011 to when you're with Vail, uh, Breckenridge. And, uh, so we're there three and a half years. 2015, we moved to California. 2015, you said? 2015. So we got married in 2014 in Santa Barbara, California. My wife's from Ventura. And... Um, and that was it. You know, three years of snow yeah. staring at a fourth winter, uh, very near coming in our face. And we said, uh, we got married on the beach. We took a month off because in that industry, you can, yep. uh, and did our honeymoon in Mexico. And, you know, after four, five, six weeks on the beach, the prospect of going back and being snowed in for months at a time, um, was no longer of interest. And so we said, I don't care. Let's pack our stuff and go. So we literally just came to California without a plan. Like we'll figure it out. Let's go. Uh, we ended up in Laguna Niguel, Aliso Viejo, which is in Orange County. And, uh, and that's really out of necessity. I said, great, I'm not going back to a corporate job. I love this creative environment. I want to do this full time. And, um, and so I started consulting full time. I started working with, um, it turned out private city club and then a private golf club and restaurant clients started coming out of uh, in introductions. There's a lot of restaurant owners within those clubs. There's a lot of investors who want to get in to different things like hotels. So we really just started putting it out there that um, I've got a couple of people in my sphere that I can work with that we can start to help yeah. people that want to make their business better so let's let's uh, put a stop here i think this is a, a, a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success especially with this labor shortage you need to rely and trust technology more than ever before and dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive dramatic impacts you can make 
on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. Uh, I want to start pulling back some layers now. So you spent a good chunk of your career with a pretty well, two well-known organizations between Vail and Hilton. Is it safe to say this was a big, a big time of growth for you professionally? Yes, absolutely. So yep. let's get into that growth. Who were you before? Who were you after? What were the key lessons you learned? I was a, um, a slightly more confident, uh, perceptively arrogant version of myself going into that, thinking, "All right, I can do this. <laughs> I'm the man. You've brought me in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock this out of the park." And then 450 people line up for breakfast on the first morning. <laughs> and you get humbled very quickly. Uh, yeah, I can imagine when hangry everybody is screaming because their motivation is to get on that mountain and you're holding them up. And by the way, you spend $150, $200 on a lift ticket, you know, 8.01 a.m., you're pissed off that you're not on a lift already, right? So yep. you want to get out there. And so you um, be the first one to hit that power. You get humbled real quick when, um, when one uh, line cook doesn't show up uh, and now all of the a la carte orders are backing up. And yeah, just the weeds beyond the weeds. Like, So how many different projects did you take from idea to you know like concept to actual i want to say brick and mortar because it was in the hotel but yeah like physical yeah we did three we did three activations in that business plus revamping the catering by the way we did all this for the first year under a full remodel shutting down entire floors to remodel shutting down banquets to remodel remodeling you know each of the venues like what was your role specifically in these things were you the visionary were you the yeah it was very collaborative right so obviously with the corporate structure there was a lot of direction and a lot of conversation but you know we were very um very involved very at the table our input was very much appreciated and very much activated on all levels uh they handed us the the thing called made market was the hilton's grab and go cafe they really leaned on us after having done the full service restaurant and said, hey, like basically here's the blueprint of the physical space we can do and here's what Starbucks requirements are. Here's some things we're thinking. And we actually got to really help design that. Um, and particularly, I did all of the operational design. So we did all the manuals and menu design and and, and let's we'll call it menu engineering, right? Um, and and testing of the of the ingredients. You know, I had the great fortune of uh, being a part of the decision team to hire the chefs um, for the whole property. And so being a part of that, 
you know, we got to know each other and you get to kind of know where their, you know, dreams are. Like, what are they trying to do? Right. What are they, what's the, you know, if you, if you really give somebody an opportunity to, to spread their wings and do what they're really good at, then you're going to get the best result out of it. Right. So we, uh, we got to handle that entire project from the ground up. Um, and, and that was a ton of fun. Uh, it was very, very successful. It, it exceeded all expectations. Um, this is back, you know, realize this is back, uh, when, when the whole grab and go thing and the little Starbucks kiosk activation within a hotel is brand new. Yeah. And so guests are not seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Guests don't even realize how much they want this. And so projections were pretty aggressive we thought and then boom blew them out of the water in the first year because it just became so convenient so easy we we started doing uh really innovative things like uh, making breakfast burritos just like three different types of breakfast burritos and putting them out on the counter because we, we knew within 30 minutes you know 100 burritos would be gone and just making it super fast like grab that bag and run out the door and you can get on the lift kind of a deal and um and just made it super easy to be super you know in the hotel very transactional it's easy because you just what's your room number sign here go right yeah. um so, so we was, could have those pre-ready to what was your title exactly uh officially your assistant director of food and beverage okay yeah so you're doing things like like you said hiring uh building out systems menu engineering uh trying to find efficiencies trying to be ahead of the consumer and figure out what the consumer wants and then provide it to them did you learn anything like specific during this time that has stuck with you skills unique to this experience th- things that have stuck with you to this day or there are key mentors that kind of yeah. helped elevate you, yeah. you to us so so in that seasonal environment you go from zero to a thousand miles an hour every morning mm-hmm. and then it stops for three months and then you go from zero to 800 miles an hour in the summer uh, while we were there the summer foot traffic the summer guest stays became equal to the winter while we were there how did that happen um, they put a lot of emphasis on summer activities. They built a lot of things on the mountain to attract people in the summer, like mountain biking trails and parks and zip lines. And, um, they had, they had the alpine coaster running all year long. So that's a fun activity. So they created that's a- an idea. Why not put in like a roller coaster on a mountain? How much potential energy do you have? Yeah. 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 The roller coaster at the top. They're a lot of fun. Oh They're really God. cool. Like, that sounds like such a great idea. That thing could be ten miles long and like have so much energy. They they were pretty long. I mean, you good on that thing and the ride. I want to go to Vail Car five six minutes. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah. So 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 there was a lot happening. Right, there's a lot changing in the industry. So I learned about seasonal hiring. Right, you're going to hire sixty to eighty employees in a three week span and you're going to lose 98% of them uh, on the last day of season, right? You're, you're hoping that they show up the last five days of season. Right. Um, but yeah, I know, you know, there's a lot of humility learned there, a lot of uh, understanding about um, the energy flows of, of that kind of environment, how to get people to come in for lunch, how to get people to come in for dinner, really you're changing the entire business model from breakfast to lunch to dinner to, to really compel different types of people to come in and, and spend that time with you. So at night, we were much more about a wine program and wine pairing and, and the food and the connectivity with the guest. We, we, we had a lot of recurring and returning guests. So we encouraged our staff who we expected to be recurring and returning to really get to know them. Like, so we made it very uh, important that they could spend time at the table. So we built in efficiencies where we had food runners and probably a couple more help staff than we would to allow the servers to spend more time really developing. So that's, a connection at the table. That's hard to do to con- develop a connection with somebody where you, that you only see them once a year. Yeah. Right. So what were there, were there things you guys did with CRM, like with relationship management to 
like did you know when they were coming like how how do you yeah we actually did that? that's, yeah it's gonna be tough from a server perspective to remember details over 365 yeah. days you know? so hilton tried really hard and again this is really before any of these apps or you know all the kind of loyalty things we take for granted uh, that are app based and, and mobile now. Um, this is before all that. You know, the hotels have always had great CRMs, but they haven't always been utilized to their best potential. I think that's the we knew everything sense. about everybody, There's but so did you do tools. anything with it? Yeah, right. We, we get these tools, like whether it's Open Table or Resi or Bicky's a new CRM platform that's emerging that's doing cool stuff, but we don't leverage them. We right. have these abilities to, to, collect data and to build a you know an archive on our guests but we don't leverage them at all so how do you get the most out of those tools yeah so you have to use them right and so it has to be built into the systems and so in in the hotel environment and the ones that are doing it really well like we thought we really did a really good job was we really focused on guest connectivity and guest recognition of course in that environment they already have that loyalty program the diamond you know the status level stuff and so you had to it was mandated that the diamond folks were recognized by name etc so so we did built flashcards we actually put the people's profile and picture on a flashcard and we would prepare for their arrival a hard tangible flashcard yeah 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 we print it out yeah. yeah and and so we would have Everybody on the team be ready to recognize, know something about them. Of course, on the room side, they were working really hard to, if they, if they routinely requested a softer pillow, those were already in the room. If they, if they ordered, um, if they ordered Diet Coke every time, we would just have a six pack of Diet Coke in their mini fridge if, if that maybe wasn't the norm, uh, cause we were a Pepsi place, you know, as an example. So, so on the room side, getting kind of really granular and really do, and then the challenge was put on food and beverage, like, great. So, they may or may not show up. They're probably going to show up. And then when they do, how are you guys going to work with that? Right. And so we had to teach our people to engage in that system. So uh, open ears, open eyes, spending more time at the table, really learning their preferences and then plugging that in. Yeah. Let's plug that in. Let's use that information. And so that's called empowerment. Right. That's really easy. That's the one thing about reservations, like the form of reservations right. that was so nice is that you got a little bit of a, a cheat. Because you yeah. knew who was coming in, you could spend an hour before service to like go through your, your reservation. You could have a lineup and talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that yeah. in the club side is is the whole business. Yeah. But in in fast paced hotel, you know, not a lot of people now. Many more boutique, much more luxury hotels have been brought to the market, and and so differentiating value props. You know, there is a lot of work in that now. But back then, that was kind of novel uh, at that level of a hotel. Rather, you know, we weren't a Ritz Carlton or a Four Seasons, right? We were definitely climbing up. Up the quality level, but but that just wasn't as common. But we really challenged our team to get to know them, and and so we empowered our team. We said, "Here's a game. Uh, if you bring an idea, if you hear something, is it an anniversary? Is it a birthday? Is it the first time their kids skiing? Is it uh, you know whatever that is? Right? What is the, they're here for vacation? There is an event, right? There there are there are things going on in their life we can recognize in that moment. If you are listening and paying attention and connecting, and you find something out." You bring it to the team and we'll crowdsource the entire team in the kitchen. We'll crowdsource something. We're going to do something. Yeah. And what is that? Whether that's chocolates in their room or a cake being made for them tomorrow or, you know, a private table that we can make arrangements at one of our sister properties or a special experience on the mountain. What can we do to make this a special? And, and we're doing it. Yeah. It is the restaurant 
server in the hotel lobby restaurant that did that for them. That's and the part of this industry that I love. It that was to, amazing. To do the little things. The, like, What can I do that's unexpected to really blow this person away? And when I think about that, like I, I got to work at a golf club at one point where I was just managing like this little like snacks shack on yeah. the seventh hole. And sometimes if I were to find out that somebody was only playing the, the back nine, but I knew what they wanted, I'd, I would get in my golf cart and I would find them on like the, the ninth or 11th hole and be like, I know you're not going to come by and see me today, but here's your Dr. Pepper and whatever. That's awesome. Like, yeah, it's exactly like that, that. And right? it's like, oh, wow. Like it's taking a breath and caring. Exactly. It's called hospitality. Exactly. And we love hospitality. Exactly. <laughs> Since man. the pineapple is our and icon. That's the stuff that that makes this industry really fun. And it's weird because, and I don't want to get too far off subject, but we live at a time right now where it looks like we're either going to go more in that direction or more in a direction of what you were talking about with just convenience in the path of least resistance and leaning on technology to streamline the process. I think there's going to be two, like the high touch isn't going anywhere. I, I think that we forget that we need it. It's a part of being a human and that we need to be seen and valued and loved and recognized and I, but I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a tons of more opportunities for high touch experiences, but for like the common person, because we have all these technologies that we can leverage to, to mine data and to customize. I don't know where we're going. People get people get scared that we're going to lose that. Well, no, I, I think I think I think experiential and the focus on high touch experiential and high differentiated experiential experiences throughout the entire food and beverage, hospitality, hotel, resort world, all over the place. And I think this is, you're starting to see this even in what we would consider environments that that wouldn't be normal in. I, I This is my quote. This is something I've been saying for a couple of years now. The mediocre middle is dead. Mm-hmm. If you are the mediocre middle, if you don't have a high value prop differentiator experience based business, and you are just call it a commodity, you're just lunch, you're just a bite, you're just food to grab on the way home, and you're not really, therefore, focused on convenience and streamline and multi-touch uh, point as far as um, how to get the food through multiple delivery points, curbside, lockers, um, you know, high-speed um, predictability and having that food ready and moving quickly – I think the middle is going to be gone. You're right. We we are going to gravitate towards both. The one issue is that speed and convenience right now is going to be a focus. I think as we see the Instacarts and the uh, Go Puffs and these you know real fast multi um, multi venue delivery promise businesses, whether whether they all can live to the promise of 15 or 30 minutes and you can get everything. Walmart.com is starting to really integrate and do their own delivery. And there's some really cool stuff happening. I think the commodity and speed is going to be a big, big, big business. It's only going to get bigger. And I think experiential and unique um, atmosphere and service model and high touch and ultra niche personalization businesses uh, in food and beverage are going to be very, very um, high growth and a lot of new unique opportunity there. And, and therefore I think the mediocre middle is what dies. Yeah. I, I, you know, now that's not to say that mom and pop one-off restaurants in a neighborhood that have been there for a long time. There's sort of legacy there. There, those, the, you know, and you see that a lot in the Northeast and certainly a lot of neighborhood based communities. But, you know, I, I think that 
those will be fine uh, in those one-off answers. But but as a genre, the mediocre middle, just get up, make some food. Hopefully enough people buy enough food every day to keep the doors open. And there's just not a lot of focus or attention yeah, on the why and what and for who and where and when and what do they where's the change like because the other problem is if you're not evolving you're dying yeah. because now the world is just moving so much faster I mean, there's so much talk right now about streamlining the process and the path of least resistance and leveraging technology and 100 percent yes that's going to be a thing but at the same time like i think there's going to be so much opportunity and the word that you use is creating experiences yep. because that is that market i feel like just diversifying that market of, of creating experiences and, and incorporating that with the food and beverage because we all have to eat at the end of the day right um, but just hospitality the, the business of warmth generosity yep. giving sharing like that is hospitality and that market is going to be exploding i think as well the high touch 101 experiences concierge type experiences are like we haven't even begun to, to, to touch the surface on what's possible there no i think i think the there's a trickle down effect from the luxury and ultra luxury world whether that's ultra luxury restaurant hotel resort uh retail i think the lessons are now trickling down to say hey you don't have to be everything to everybody you can pick a lane yeah. and just do that really, really well and do it really uniquely and do it very consistently. And if you can personalize that to the individual, which as we talked about earlier, data and technology, it's there. It's just whether or not you know how to use it and and how to leverage it um, and turn it into action. Uh, I think that those lessons are now getting into what we consider like a mainstream or scalable models um, can, can leverage that um, that ideation, that, that yeah. theory. So I do want to make sure we spend a little bit of time talking about what you learned during your time with the, the, the private golf clubs and what you were doing there, a couple of your experience. And then I really want to dive into Nourish and what you got going on and the, the backstory of Nourish. And, and one of the things I'm really trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable is challenge the status quo. Yeah. Like this, this traditional restaurant business model uh, of like just – you know, your, your 10% profit margin, if you're doing 10%, somebody says that's good. You know, why do we have to accept that? Uh, the 1905 restaurant business model, right? Yep. Um, so I, I'm really curious and pulling back the layers and nourish, but before we get there, I mean, are there lessons learned? Did you evolve during this golf club, private club? Like, get into that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the last, um, you know, 10 years, the previous five of the last 10 years, um, really focused, uh, on opportunities in that environment. And those were a hundred percent cultural turnarounds. So those were businesses that were either very stagnant, um, for a very long time or were actively losing exponentially more money day after day over the previous periods. And we um, we went in and we've developed a system for ourselves in the consulting side to, to do an upfront evaluation between the secret shopping and the on-site tours and really looking at the P&Ls and really interviewing the staff from management to, to all levels of the staff across the organization and having a real good vision of what was really going on and then developing a plan to change that, right? And it all comes down to moving the needle with people showing people you care, investing in those people, giving them a vision, giving them a goal, um, holding them accountable, but giving them the tools and resources to be successful. So we really looked at what is it that has made us successful as leaders? What has made the businesses we have engaged with as, uh, successful? And it always comes back to the people. And so we've really dug in deep into 
people and culture first. That's the answer. The metrics will come. The sales will come. The profitability will come. If your people care, uh, they'll be less wasteful. If people care, they'll proudly promote and sell more. Uh, you know, all of those things that I think are really well understood. But again, I think a lot of owner operators particularly lose vision of that, lose sight of that, forget that early um, that early energy that they put out there that was what attracted people to their business, both as an employee and as a consumer. And I think we just kind of fizzle out and get flat and, um, and we have to re-energize that. And so we got into that side of the business, um, at scale and, and we did a number of properties and we proved that that, that is the unlock, right? And so we were spending about 18 months per property, um, enacting a very specific plan to turn around the financial metrics as the as the measurement but really making it very clear of how we were going to do that was through motivating the people moving the needle with the people always results in financial needle moving 100 percent. let's go back to this idea you said you said things like helping create the vision the goals giving them the tools to execute and and getting people to care so that's how i'm assuming yeah let's get into some details like really how do you move the needle with people where does that all start you you have to actually do what you say you're going to do. So integrity. When, yeah, integrity. It's the number one core value in restaurant unstoppable network. Yeah. Do what you say you're going to do. And that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. All my core. Sorry, but keep going. A- empathy. And yeah. a- a- you said it earlier and I smiled and, you know, empathy. And quite frankly, uh, I- I'm very, very happy. I-, I bought several dozen of Gary Vaynerchuk's newest book, uh, 12 and a half, because it is all about the EQ, right? The emotional intelligence, the emotional investment, because that's all that matters to, to the point that if you really care about the people that work with and air quotes for you to as a team, you know, it, this just goes back to team sports. You can use any analogy, you know, why are the most successful coaches in team sports so successful? If you listen to their interviews, they've never said the word I. It's always about the team and the collective, right? And so, you know, we really, really focused on the human element and, and it is about empathy. It's about expressing that I understand the pain. I understand the toxic environment. I understand the, what seems like a lack of care for the individual. First seek to understand. First seek to understand that and do that, right? Yeah. Ask a lot of questions and then don't make promises you can't keep. Don't make promises you're not going to be able to keep, you know, through whatever financial restrictions. You can't just, Give everybody everything yeah. all at once. That's a big but one. But that there's for a plan. Me. There that's is a, a plan. That's a big one for me. Like uh, I think a lot of people. So this idea of being a con artist is basically leveraging the confidence that people put in you. Right. You're in your in your manipulating them or you're yeah. a bait and switch. But you build up confidence, and then once you get people's trust, they give you what you need, and you say, "Huh, thanks," and you're out of there. I think a lot of people who get labeled being con artists are people who have the right intention. Right. They make promises. They want to do... They just can't keep them. But they underestimate what it takes to execute the promise. And this is a really... This is my biggest fear. As, as somebody who makes promises, like, can I do this? Like, do can I transform the world with the, a podcast? Like a right. restaurant podcast? Like, am I going to be a, a, a con artist by, by accident? So how do you avoid becoming a con artist? How do you... Say be- no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so don't say yes every time, right? So down to the most micro promise. 
you know, you have to know what you have time for. You have to know what your team is capable of at this moment. And sometimes the ideas are phenomenal, but the execution of those ideas are not possible at this time. And for a variety of reasons or other strategy focuses, or there's really a process in place here and we have to honor that process because we'll be so much better at executing on that idea it, when we when we're all ready, right? Yes, I think it's a great idea. Yes, I think it's going to make money. Yes, I think uh, it makes sense for this business. But but if we did it today, we may not succeed or be as successful at it. So micro promises kept. You you know, and if some and letting people understand, look, it's not a no. It may just be not a right now. And almost every time, I would say, somebody come in your office and say, "I have this great idea. What if?" And okay, great. Tell me about it cool. Can you go and work on, these are the three things I need to know to say yes. Can you go get a couple of other teammates and, and talk about it, have a beer, you know, I'll buy you guys lunch or, or, you know, go, go hang out and, and come back with an idea, come back with a plan, really empowering people to be a part of that process. Invite them to be a builder, help help them in the the realization that it's a no. And oh, by yeah. the way, they're going to learn along the way. Yeah. You're teaching actually, right? And you're showing them the structure. You're showing them the process. Yeah. So what about getting people to care? You said a lot of what you're doing is just getting the people to care uh, and stopping the, the energy from fizzling out. Yep. So how do you do that? How do you get people to care? Well, that's by those yeses. So when you strategically pick a yes and you go all in and you empower them to own it, then they care because they created the idea or they collaborated on the idea, whether it's a new form of service or a, a new menu item or a new outlet or, you know, a new uh, uh, examples. What I mean, by new outlet, if we're going to if we're going to add a uh, add a food truck to the golf course. Right. Or we're going to um, we're going to do a pop up virtual only or something, something like you know, a, you know, a one off a one off experience. Uh, we you know, we created a lot of those one off, you know, uh, wine pairing, beer pairing. You know, if, if somebody really had a passion about something, we'd let them run with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So so I don't need to tell you what the cocktail menu needs to be. You're out there with the guest every day. You know what they like. And so let, go build a cocktail. Get four or five of you together. You're the lead bartender. Come up with a cocktail menu. Here's how you price it. And it just becomes a learning opportunity. If you're investing in your team and empowering your team, then they're going to give you their best because they're going to be um, really appreciative of the opportunity. They're going to want to shine. They're going to want to share that passion at the highest level. And they're going to bring you their best. Yeah. And I'm constantly echoing Maslow's hierarchy of needs and above the, your, physio- your physiological needs like food and shelter. Um, you need to feel security. But then after that, that's where the beautiful start. The, the the beautiful stuff starts to happen and people just want to be seen and recognized. Right. They want to know that they're growing. And that's what you just mentioned right there. You're seeing them, you're recognizing them. You're saying, you know more than I do. What do you think? And you value their opinion. So now they're feeling like they belong, they're loved, they're valued. And then you're giving them the tools and resources and a track to grow. And in the end, when it does happen, you have to recognize them and give them all of the credit. Yeah. And that's as a leader, into, you take zero credit. So what is that tapping into? So you're, you're absolutely tapping into, well, I mean, it's not ego is a bad word for that, but self actualization. You're, you're really giving them this opportunity to feel the value, the worth to ownership, the accountability yeah. of, of the entire thing. I think it comes down to being tribal. I think yeah. that is the, at the end of the day, we grew, we evolved and grew into homo sapien by living in small knit, 
impacts where we were the, the tribe dependent. We had to bring something to that tribe, a skill to that tribe, an ability to that tribe, so that tribe could go on. And if you were good, maybe it was skinning like a, something that the tribe killed or it was cooking to something the tribe killed. But like if you brought a skill set to that tribe and you were valuable to the tribe, the tribe saw you, they valued you, and you, you self-actualized. This is my purpose. This is my role. This is my lane. I'm needed. We won't survive without me. And if you can create micro tribes in, within your organizations where you're needed, where we all can't survive unless you are showing up and doing your job, like that is your self-actualization. That's my purpose. Yep. That's why I'm here. Well, and I think it's the difference between surviving and thriving, right? Yeah. The business may be able to survive, but will it thrive and will it create um, you know, that environment where people want to stay come down to attrition and turnover and, you know, uh, the, the, all the issues of the labor crisis today. You know, this is, this has always been a problem. Uh, turnover in the restaurant industry was north of a hundred percent in 2019. 2019 was the highest of a 12 year economic rocket ship that we had ever been on in, in the United States, at least. And if we can't in that environment, the most cash flush environment, the most successful business environment that's ever existed in our country, we we still have over a hundred percent turnover in a, in a hospital, in a hotel, or I'm sorry, in restaurant. That that to me is really, really telling. That what's wrong? I mean, this yeah, is actually, not shelf that question. <laughs> We're gonna come back to that. Yeah, um, but anything else we should learn or can, that we can garner from your time working with these golf clubs um, or, or these, these private clubs or anything like that before we move on to to nourish? Or do you just want to actually with- know your people? care, actually care about them as individuals and ask them what their purpose is. What is your desires? Look, I know you're studying to be a nurse, a doctor, a pilot, all kinds of things, a biochemist. You're going to go on and do amazing things. But right here, right now, what do you need? What do you want to know more about? What are you here in hoping to learn that you can carry as a, as a lesson in, in life that's going to help you later? And when they tell you that, give them what they need actually invest in them as an individual because they then each of those individuals as you said in the tribe will have that value and that worth they will come together and talk about it they will all feel valued and worth and that that amplification that happens ultimately provides a much more enjoyable environment to spend time in for all of us they're going to show up on time and in uniform clean pressed and excited to be there rather than when can I get out of here? Right. It's just going to change the entire dynamic of the entire environment yeah. and everybody's going to have a much better time. And the business results again will come. as a So part of that. I'm going to make a statement and I, and I, I'm curious if you agree with it or not, but do you think it's easier to go in and to create a big splash and to inject energy uh, into the, you know, to, it's, it's fun to rejuvenate a, a, a culture and to add energy to a culture, but to actually, you know, like how long can you maintain that, that, that hurrah, you know, that. Yeah. And I don't. And so the answer is I don't, I don't do it like that. Right. Because if you do it like that, there's the whole like, Oh yeah. All right. I'm looking at my time. I'm looking at the calendar. Uh, you know, and they start, they start a pool in the back office about how long this is going to last and whether you're really going to execute on any of the promises you've made. I think you started off much more humble, much more. I I do it one-on-one. I walk into these businesses. They have 110, 130 employees. I actually sit down for 45 minutes to an hour with every single employee for the first three months I'm there. Right. So that was the model. And the model was to actually understand them, ask them a lot of the same questions, but also give them an opportunity to 
tell you because if you just open that floodgate and they tell you there are trends you're going to find the the elements within the system that aren't working that need to be touched first and the things that are going to make the most impact and then you do them authentically you do them meaningfully you actually care and you actually do what you say you're going to do then everything else comes yes yeah, it, so it all is a self-fulfilling prophecy i from guess there. where i'm going is it's one thing to go in and to rejuvenate to bring energy to a culture to to bring it up and i would say that is easier than actually sustaining that energy sustainability comes from actual authentic caring that your your motivation your intent is so pure that it's going to last one and two putting systems and processes in place that allow and encourage this well beyond you so okay, so this is where people I'm going. can come five years from now and know there's a system okay so it's to share thing, yeah it's one thing to come in and say this is our vision these are our goals this is who we are these are our values yes right but then six months later do you do you remember what you said your values are? Do you remember what you said the vision is? What systems and processes are you putting in place to resurface these cultural things? Because I think that that's where people go wrong is they say, yep. this is who we are. This is what we give a fuck about. And then stop talking about it. Yeah. yeah. So, so, what, so what you build it, systems? you build it. Yep. The systems are you build it into the daily, right? Yeah. So, so you have conversations every day. So the daily lineup actually Every day, one of your core values is on the daily lineup, and there's an example of how to live the core value. So if your yes. core value is connecting, we want to be connective, here are ways you can connect with the guests, connect with your teammates, right? Um, things we don't do to break down that relationship, meaning we don't scream at each other from the front of the house to the back of the house across the service line, right? And we don't blame each other. We look at ways of fixing problems as a team. But but you pick a core value every day of the week. So so we had a daily lineup and a daily SOP binder. And so you would come in and you would open the SOP binder. And that was a way to very quickly convey to everybody, what is a focus? What is something that we need to make sure everybody knows and everybody's on board and understands that system or that process? So what's the standard operating procedure binder? Is it just a list of all the stand, like the, all of your standards? And do you just like start from the top and cycle through? Or? So no, when you, so for me, it's when you identify a reoccurring issue, if you have to constantly tell 10 employees out of 100 every day or every week the same information, then it needs to be built into the system. It needs to be built into the process. So you write an SOP and say, okay, everybody, I've heard from 10 people this week um, that they're doing it 10 different ways. They're doing... Uh, Whatever that is, making coffee, uh, the order process, the entering, the kitchen's telling me they're seeing the same request, but they're seeing it 10 different ways. Let's all agree on the language we're going to use for that modifier. Let's create the modifier. Let's create the add X because, well, you know, a lot of guests are asking for add X to this dish. Great. This is how we're going to handle that. And so they come in and they read it and go, oh, okay, that's the answer to the question. Sign off. Great. And then on the daily lineup, it's just about, I want to give, I want you to, we, we would pick an ingredient. We pick a menu item and an ingredient out of a menu item every day. And we do education. What is the ingredient? Where does it come from? Why is it in the dish? What does it do? Um, do you, you know, we would quiz them on, on, uh, what is that? What does that taste like? Or does that bring a salt or a sweet? Does it bring an acid to the, to the flavor? Really like invest in knowledge around that. Right. But we'd have five or six things in a lineup and your core value and how to live that core value today 
was part of it. Then on the accountability side, you know, we would have weekly recognitions, monthly employee of the month, employee of the quarter, et cetera, right? But in that, the nomination forms were open to every employee every day. You could, you could, um, you could give a recognition. You could write a little slip and give a recognition. If you build in that the words in the core values, the words in your vision and mission statement, the, the things that you're focused on today or this week or this month, whether it's a new wine or a wine pairing or a new menu item or, or whatever that is, um, if you build that into the daily conversation, then they start, everybody starts really, it, it's a self-fulfilling machine. It starts, it starts buzzing. It starts, it starts asking questions. It starts giving feedback. Yeah. There's a lot of feedback that managers and owners and, and leadership never hear. But if you, if you're actually plugged in and you provide a conduit, you provide an avenue for them to communicate that and you show them that when they do, you're going to do something with it. Yeah. And you say, I can do something about that. Or I can't do something about that today, but I will later. You know, it's just about making promises you can keep and really making that part of the daily communication language. Yes. And you, there's two people, two past episodes that come to mind listening to you speak. If my listeners want to go further into this, the first one hurts Schultze. We did, uh, so at the, the, Ritz-Carlton, they have 26 standards of excellence. Yep. And every day, they go through one of those standards in order. When they hit the 26th day, they start back to number yep. one. And they just do exactly what you say. But if you want to listen to that and, and the significance of creating ritual, and yep. this is where I'm going, is uh, Mario Del Perro, another past guest on the show, another L.A. restaurateur with Mendocino Farms, talks about mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about is a culture. Think about what a culture is. It's, 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 a, it's a society. It's a group of people that have the same values the same beliefs and they in every culture there's rituals and there's language yep right a way that things that we do daily or or annually that are regular uh things that we say every day that are unique to us you build these things into your organization it becomes a part of your dna so like i think the example with mendocino farms is whenever they open the first person in the last person out they they say so i can't remember what they say but it's little things that you do when somebody comes in they all scream like this this saying like Mm -hmm. i can't remember i think it's they all scream first person in last person out oh that's cool but it's like a way to recognize that the first person is just as important as the last person right so these are operational standards of excellence that you use language to 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 reinforce those things so it's it's cultural language and rituals baked into your organization that's how you keep your culture going strong over time yeah that that's the key to the sustainability piece right because yeah. anybody can do it for day one we work with a lot of emerging brands in our consulting practice today helping new concepts and small group concepts grow and we see all of that love and energy and excitement and passion and everything the trick is is if you don't find a way to systematize it if you don't find a way to actually bake it into the language and into the process and look we can all think about chick-fil-a we can all think about great cultures and the great places to work with in hospitality or not and when you start looking at the why do those work it it is the same reasoning that you've just laid out. They've found a way to build it into the process. So whether you got hired in the first five years of that business or the 50th year of that business, you feel like the first employee. You feel just as important as a part of the organization as the 5,000th employees, as the fifth employee did. And that is the key to sustainability. The, The who we are, the why we are has to resurface every day. For sure, I'm loving this conversation, man. So I I want to focus uh, the rest of our conversation on nourish because that's your your latest. So you have 
Kiwi Restaurant Partners. Yep. Uh, and then that's the like the mother company, and underneath that you have Nourish. And then you have like I think six or seven or eight, eight different brands yeah. uh, that operate underneath that. Uh, but what is Nourish? When did the idea for Nourish first bubble up? Yep. Um, uh- about four years ago, um, and, and here we are in 2022. So in, in late 2017, early 2018, I had had an idea um, for a restaurant concept called Sandwich, S-N-D-W-C-H, so Sandwich Without the Vowels. And I, uh, through our consulting practice, we had met a founder of a one-unit uh, test concept called Manjo Organica. And his vision for that concept and my vision for sandwich were basically the same thing, but his was in um, a Southern Italian Mediterranean healthful diet and mine was an American carvery sandwich. But yeah. we both had a lot of the same beliefs around regional, seasonal, sustainable, organic, unknown and direct source ingredients. And so we said, hey, what if we partnered? Now we have two brands. By the way, they both were black and white logos and so many things were very well aligned. And, and I said, okay, now we have two brands. And then we uh, met and started working with some other people who became partners uh, through a variety of activities. Now we're getting this group together and I start sharing the story. They say, well, I I have an idea or I, I, you know, let's think about how many different types of genres, you know, can we create that can follow the same system and process and promise and brand statement. And, and ultimately nourish was the last thing we came up with as a name. We really built this platform idea organically. So we ended up with the core group of executives that you see on the website today who all have built new concepts or turned around very large businesses across a variety of genres, across a variety of business uh, service models. And, and we said, let's take that collective knowledge and say, what is the restaurant of the future, right? What matters? Let's learn from Shake Shack. Let's learn from Sweet Greens. Let's learn from Blaze growing really, really fast in a short period of time. Let's learn from where the consumer's going. How, what is the new thing? And this is all before the pandemic. And, and quite frankly, on February 14th, uh, 2020, right before the big lockdowns, we did our first pitch for an investment. And, and people looked at us on that day like we had seven heads. Wait, 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 wait. Automation, robotics, um, eight, eight concepts in one kitchen. And like, this was like blowing people's minds, right? If you didn't know about ghost kitchens, which Massimo, uh, the co-founder of Kitchen United is on our team and, and the first store, Kitchen United was open in Pasadena. If you had never experienced that or some of this sounded really foreign, particularly to investors, right? Investment banks, et cetera, that weren't really looking at what the future models look like. So we said, we're going to build the model of the future that is both really pushing the envelope today, but that has built into it the ability to adapt and grow and change. We wanted interchangeability of brands. We wanted uh, the adaption and adoption of new technologies, new systems, new venue models. And we said, well, what's the most unique way to come out of the gate? So we're actually very, very close uh, to bringing the physical plant of this uh, to fruition in the next couple of months. And we're starting with pod kitchens. So we're taking the idea of a converted shipping container. Now they're purpose built today. They're not actually, we're not converting shipping containers. We're building them from the ground up, but we're going to put eight brands in one 685 square foot box. We're going to make that box as system systematically sustainable from a 
timing and a process, but also from an environmental, we're at about 85% self-sustaining from an energy. So we're using solar, water evaporation, um, water recirculation and capture. Um, we're using um, sustainable ingredients, uh, all the promises that I laid out with regional, seasonal, sustainable, organic, direct and known source where possible. Um, we are building not only from the food perspective sustainability, but from the physical environment that we're creating. So we're a no gas, no hood required, although we'll have a recirculating hood for um, scrubbing out, you know, carbons and things from the atmosphere. But we are all induction and combi therm oven. We saute fresh to order. Um, we don't have to pre-make and pre-cook the actual food. We're not re-thermalizing, right? But we're using the technology today to make a fantastic ingredient shine and be as healthful as possible across multiple genres of cuisine. We have Italian and Asian and American barbecue and American carvery sandwich. We have... Um, uh, Indian concept in, yeah. in non-nation. So we're going to bring all those together in one platform. So back in 2017, 2018, was your thought process we're going to f- start with just digital? We want it to be this one location that our first storefront is just the digital storefront no there yet or did the pandemic help influence influence that approach no at the outset even pre-pandemic uh and the pandemic has only proven our hypothesis and our theory because so many people are doing so many pieces of this or combinations of this and some people are doing a lot of them uh no our 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 hypothesis and theory was we we use the term venue agnostic we were a hundred percent venue agnostic from day one that's why we mean by that venue agnostic we don't care where where this goes. I can plug this in 365 square feet or 3,600 square feet or 30,000 square feet. I can make a food hall and every brand can be a kiosk, which is sort of old school in my mind. It's not really the goal, but we can plug this in. When you say this, anywhere. what do you mean? Nourish. So a multi-brand, high technology, high sustainability, high healthfulness um, ingredient profile of brands in one spot. I mean, today, most people are thinking of it as a micro food hall. One owner, one operator, one focus, everything going in the same direction with the same, you know, brand statement, the same belief system, the same vision and mission. We're, we're, we, we don't believe in, um, you know, one building, 20 different operators creating 60 different brands, et cetera. We, we want to have the control over the delivery of the entire system and the entire product. So we are built to evolve. We, we are going to build a fully robotic system. Today, we have the technology uh, available the, the to us. The technology's there. To do it's it. It's not a matter of when. It's a matter of like... Well, it is a matter. Of, it's not a matter of if, if it's a matter of when. Like, yep. like literally all the technology that we, that we need to execute what you're saying is around. It's here. Yep. It's just a matter of adoption. Yep. It's a matter of, I think, making it normal, you know. Uh, but one of the things I'm curious about. So you have all these concepts operating out of one physical 600 square foot box. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm I know that you part of your plan is we. You know, from what I understood, when you onboard a concept, um, the idea is okay. We're going to start just with Ghost Kitchen to see if you have if you can pick up with momentum with Ghost Kitchen and delivery only. If that works, we're going to move you into 
uh, a food court model where we're giving you like a, a, a like a it's a semi brick and mortar situation. It's a it's a step in the right direction to brick and mortar. If that continues to build momentum, then we're going to give you your own standalone brick and mortar. Potentially, yeah. So we built it to allow for any single concept to graduate, right? To sort of self proof. I think some concepts will will find their lane and do very very well in one or two types of venues or deliveries uh, type so models. Avenues but, meaning delivery only, pickup only, uh, sit down only. Like these are what you right. mean by avenues, different right. forms of consuming. Or right. Like whether you're trying to just grab and go or if you want it delivered or if you want to pick it up or if you want to sit down. Those right. are what you mean by avenues. Right. And, okay. and you know, I'll tell you some of the motivation too, not to be too earthy crunchy about it, but the reality is, is uh, I live in a community in, in North Los Angeles County that's, about to be fully built out. It's a, they're about to literally run out of land. So the last things are being built. The last strip mall, the last standalone uh, restaurant buildings, etc. And in my community, in the last two years, all I've seen is scrape a pad, put up a Taco Bell. Scrape a pad, put up another Starbucks. Scrape a pad, put up another Popeyes. In one little half block street, there's this replication of these the box is the same, right? They look identical. They just have a different skin on them. And and I'm saying, look, how many people in one household all want Popeyes tonight? How many want, right? And so the idea of multi-brand is not new. It's definitely blown up in the pandemic. But but how often am I going to go out of my way to go to a Sweet Greens or a Chop Stop for the salad? And then who's the vegan restaurant in this area? And, and really try to curate my you know, culinary experience during the week every day. It's exhausting. I live it every day. Um, my wife says, when is this thing going to be open in our neighborhood? I'm like, honey, very soon. Um, but, but what we want to do is from a sustainability standpoint, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you have to get in a car and you, or you have to order a delivery and you have to choose a single location. Or if you choose multiples, it's multiple deliveries. And now you're just burning all yeah, kinds of fuels. $50 so later. And let's consolidate this. Let's give what people tipping, yeah. what they want. Let's give them variety. Let's give them healthfulness within that variety. And, and let's be innovative. Let's, let's change out brands. Let's change out the menu within brands on, on a structured rotation that will keep it interesting. And, and, but also let's do it in a very low impact way. What is the least impact we can make on the environment? The highest impact we can make on the farmer and rancher? Uh, how, how, can we really help move the needle on uh, people's health and give them better choices? Because I'm those, those names of brands, you know, look, I, I love a piece of fried chicken like anybody. I don't go to McDonald's. I don't go to Taco Bell necessarily, but, but I appreciate that, you know, as a treat, as a unique, op- okay. But on a daily, when your only choice is literally Starbucks, Popeye's, Taco Bell, Panda Express, except, you know, Lots of fried, lots of oil, lots of fat, lots of, you know, taking good ingredients and breaking them down to make them not so good for you. 30 years of leaning into yeah. quick inconvenience in the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. We, we got ourselves in a really ugly place. Because we think you can do craft. Everything everything comes at a cost. You can right? do craft fast. That's yeah. what we think. We think so, you can take high quality ingredients, treat them well, deliver them in a more healthful way, do it through lots of different types of cuisine genres that people are asking for, wanting, will learn and enjoy, and do them in one place so that there can be one order, multiple types of food for every family member, every person in the office, whatever that is, and and do it in a high-tech, 
very convenient, very scalable way with the least impact on the environment. Yeah. Period. So now I'm curious about logistics and how you're actually executing this. So you have upwards of eight concepts in a 600, 700 square foot space. Um, and at first thought, you're like, how can one small space handle so many, such a big, so many different menus? But I'm curious for each location, how many menu items are in each location? Yeah. Or each so brand. Yep. So each brand Concepts. is each brand is an average of nine to eleven okay. menu items. So they are consolidated, certainly, but the total mix is about forty to forty-five menu items between all the brands. Well, that's where I was going with yep. this: is the the power of keeping one concept, one brand, simple, stupid, right? Yep. And when you only have so nine items on each menu, what's nine times eight? Fifty-six. Right? My, no, that's not right. Nine times 74. Wait, no, 72. I'm Jesus. not doing any math here. Don't ask me to do math. This is embarrassing. <laughs> um, but the idea is you think about some uh, older business models. Mexican restaurants come to mind. Uh, Italian restaurants come to mind where you might have 150 options on that menu. And that's all coming out of one kitchen, right? So, like, the idea is, like, you're just taking these these kind of these these big it's the same idea. I kind of, it's like the same idea of how we were doing things, but you're slicing and dicing the offering in, in conceptualizing the offering. And like you're, you're taking sections of the menu and now that becomes a whole concept. Yeah. You're, you know, I, like I think of it as distillation concentration, right? I want to do the eight or 10 best things I can do that are going to give the most, the best representation of that genre or that concept or that brand. And I want the option to change them as necessary, but I don't want the variety within that concept weighing down the entire system, right? From a logistical standpoint, from a financial standpoint, uh, from a waste standpoint, we don't want waste. We, you know, if, if a menu item is not performing well, we're going to change it, right? Yeah. Um, if a brand is not doing well, we're going to change it. We don't want food waste. We don't want energy waste. We don't want to force something. And the beauty of this is that, you know, nowadays it, a concept is turned on and exists when it has a website, it's plugged onto your app and it's in your point of sale, yeah. right? If you can run an ad on Facebook with a logo, you have a new concept. And so yeah. you can go live as long as the food's there. So one of the other thoughts I have is in how you're executing this, this idea uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you're use a lot, utilizing a lot of the same ingredients. You're cross, you're cross utilizing the same ingredients in different contexts. That's correct. So, any advice on like how to do that well without like like what like how do you execute yeah. that and make it feel different? It's well, you know, chicken is chicken is chicken unless it's different parts of the chicken, but. You, you know, everything starts with the menu. We've, I, you know, whether it's old school or not, you design a restaurant around the menu. The menu dictates a lot of things yeah. and you start with the menu. So when we start with a menu, we, we go big. We're like, Hey, what are all the possibilities here? What are all the, what are all the unique, uh, regionality dialects of this food that we can, let's go big. And then you pare it down. And when you get down to, let's say your goal is, 10 menu items and you're sitting on 18 that you think all are amazing. Well, number one, you know, you can rotate those in over time. That's great. So nobody has to lose out, but, but in looking at the ingredient profile, anytime you have a menu item, this is true for any restaurant. This is consulting one-on-one, right? If you have any single menu item that is utilizing one or more ingredients that are only served in that menu item, you need to ask whether that menu item really has the value 
that that you need it to because those are items you're spending money on that there's going to be waste on and if you don't pull that through on uh, fast enough and in a timely enough manner that those ingredients themselves don't go bad whatever the life shelf span and all that is um th- then then that menu item may not have the value that you need it to be and it may be dragging you down you know financially and certainly then then also you look at the exact same scenario around prep around time how much time and energy does it take to make that one ingredient work within that one dish and again is that worth it because we really have to consider an amount of time and money especially in as as uh, labor is rightfully becoming more expensive you, you have to think it so so you take each one of these sort of buckets uh, across the whole impact how does this ingredient how does this collection of ingredients to make a menu item impact everything from workflow and prep timing and cost and product cost etc how do you, how does that all play and then what can you charge for that item and how many of those are you going to sell and then you actually have to use real data and and if you're not looking at your p mix or your menu mix report and you're not looking at your sales by half hour by menu item and by genre of the menu and by the brand uh, on a pretty regular basis you know at least monthly uh, for us it's weekly you know if you're not really analyzing that deep that often then you're allowing for waste. You're spending money and time and energy that may not have the value you think it does. So aside from the conveniences to the consumer, which you pointed out, you you believe the future is uh, one household is going to want to order from five different concepts and they want to have it delivered at once. Correct. Right. Um, that's kind of like the the market you're going after. Correct. I understood that. I understood that correctly. So um, <clears throat> what what are the operational as far as cost analysis as far as like where are you what is it so that's so appealing about this business model like where are you making up loss i guess is where i'm going like what what do you what is your what are your percentages how do you cut it up what are your labor costs yep. what are your operational costs yep. like what is what so does this look like so we do it with a maximum of four humans okay. per shift on average three <clears throat> and um so our labor costs are much lower than most. They're in the low to mid twenties. Um, we consolidate our prep. So we do utilize a lot of ingredients just in different ways. And so we consolidate our prep through commissary. Um, we outsource a fair bit of that as well. So uh, you're the idea of this is like basically say you're doing you need carrots. You're gonna process a bunch of carrots and then yeah so most restaurants take those carrots and they're going to go into different homes most yeah, yeah most think about that most restaurants are going to have to buy a case yeah. of something that's the minimum purchase size is a case um within that case how much of that is viable for what you're doing with it uh you you take that off the top and then you process that for one dish or five dishes, it doesn't matter what a traditional restaurant is doing, and then you hope to sell enough of those that, that when you have to cut more carrots tomorrow, um, you know you can either reutilize yesterday's carrots or you can't. So what we're saying is how concentrated, how distilled, how how many ways can we use that carrot that makes sense? And if, if it isn't going to, um, if we're not going to go through that case inside of its shelf life value, then, then is it really 
the right ingredient and is that does that need to be in here now the seasonality really helps with that right seasonal ingredients you can get in smaller batches you can get more frequently if you're buying them from farmers markets or regional farmers um, you, you have a little bit more flexibility in that wasteful side of the business but but yeah we and by the way to the point you made about multiple brands on one everybody in the house gets what they want everybody yes but take that another step further is is as a society we also want to get our our milk and diapers at the same time and in the same delivery we want to get our pharmacy because you know i gotta get in the car and i gotta drive to the pharmacy i gotta drive to the grocery store i gotta you know it's an hour hour and 15 minute tour at five at six o'clock or five thirty when i get off at work and the kids are screaming husband's hangry uh, i gotta get all this done and get home and so we make kind of bad choices in, in that pressure pot, yeah. right? And so um, we think that not only as a standalone adjacent to all these other things you need, but but we know for a fact that installed as a part of that total solution package, whether it's inside of a grocery or inside of a large retailer like a Walmart, we know there there is consolidation in this entire uh, ecosystem. Uh, and, and whether that is in a retail visible physical presentation you can go experience yourself in person or whether that's just within a mile of every household in America and it doesn't matter what the venue is and that's why we say venue agnostic <clears throat> my goal is when we're at a point where I can do it just to say we did it is I'm going to put a nourish on an airplane I'm going to put it on an Emirates or because that's the kind of business is probably or I'm hoping Richard Branson and I become good friends and uh, and we put it on a <laughs> Richard, virgin. If you're listening. Yeah, let's, let's put let's put Troy a nourish. Wants, Troy wants to talk. Let's put a nourish kitchen and cook fresh food on an aircraft because, hey, no gas, uh, no oil, no flame, uh, you know, low, low possibility of flame. So let's figure out how we can do that, Richard. But um that's the point though is that this could be anywhere in any venue presentation in any um collaborative collection of any set so of brands you're looking to put a nourish in a box like a, a storage container or at a walmart or at a gas station or at an airport and you can plug and play this thing anywhere is what anywhere um <clears throat> and the, the convenience is that is now if somebody orders nourish but they also want diapers it's all coming from the same place that's Correct. kind of the thought process one of the things you pointed out uh, I, I kind of want to get back. So I, I'm kind of assuming based off of what I've learned is that where nourish is going to thrive is in cutting down on labor expense because you're you're utilizing four people in eight concepts at once. You're also looking to really lean heavy into technology right. and robotics and just the, the digital technology that's happening. So what so if a, a standard labor expense is to say 30%, like what, or 35%, like what is your labor expense? Yeah. L- low to mid twenties. Okay. Um, because look, no matter, no matter what brick and mortar business you're running, um, a lot of, a lot of fast food and others, they overstaff because of daily attrition, daily no shows and call outs and things like this. Um, but, but for us, when you're, when you have a limited ingredient profile, you use multi-use uh, um, utilization of of a limited number of ingredients, you really reduce prep. If we outsource a fair bit of that prep uh, to consolidate, or we do a lot of that prep centrally commissary wise, so we can do a lot of locations with the same labor, yeah. you're not replicating that labor every location. That's yeah. really the inefficiency that most restaurants are subject to today, which Ghost Kitchens has been a, uh, as a model, has been kind of this 
theory and test place. There are people that pay to be in a ghost kitchen just to use it as a commissary. Great. If it can have a, uh, a point of access and we can do delivery out of there and we do some sales out of there, great. But, but a lot of people have looked for these environments to, to start to consolidate. If you've got three, four, five restaurants, there's absolutely no reason to replicate the entire uh, human capital system in every restaurant. Yeah. So if you're making up 10 to 15 points on labor, where is that going? Is that going towards the higher cost of, of using organic ingredients? Is that going, is some of it going there or is it going to a lot of that going towards profit? So we're certainly reinvesting, right? Our, our, our promise is uh, one of our big promises is that we want to put um, cleaner, healthier food options closer to more people that don't have them. And, you know, and in my community, it is quite an upscale affluent type suburban community. And the fact that our choices are fried food and Taco Bell or fried chicken and Taco Bell. Um, I, we know that higher quality, accessible, um, healthful foods are not available in a lot of lower income communities that, uh, or, or remote communities that just aren't, they're not giving those choices that they really is the Sonic or rallies or whatever is the only sort of restaurant within miles. That's not a mom and pop, uh, you know, Mexican or, or Italian restaurant, excuse me. So we actually are going to be reinvesting those what we'll call them excessive profits, those additional profits above the normal traditional model in putting nourish locations in those communities and using them as a platform to raise the community, not just provide better, healthier, cleaner food to more people, but to actually use them as an educational platform, to use them as a transformational platform to, to give new skills to, to those communities. And that's true for anywhere. We, we intend to do that. One thing we haven't talked about, it's not really overtly obvious in our, in our system is that we're, we're leaning heavily into vertical farming. So, so we've partnered with both Babylon farms and freight farms to either containerize vertical farms on site with our pod kitchen model or to have um, scalable vertical farms within a brick and mortar or a central commissary where we're actually growing a lot of our own leafy greens and some of our vegetables. And so we want to use that also as a platform for educational. It's all the stems, right? It, it is it is algorithms with the app, but it is, uh, you know, understanding, uh, you know, growth um, rotation and, uh, and planting and water and hydro, hydroponics, et cetera, aer- aeroponics, all of those elements. Those, those are all pieces of opportunity to share and educate the community, your consumer, but also uh, kids within the community and, and do skills, upskilling and retraining uh, for new jobs. And so we see it as, you know, a really mission driven platform to to transform all communities. And what, if it will work in those that community and a high affluent suburban community with poor food options, it can really work anywhere. And, um, you know, the scalability of the platform allows us to go wherever it is needed so at the end of the day. For people who are listening and getting excited about what you're sharing and, and maybe want to, like, replicate this, um, I, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to, like, I have... Some questions about maybe I'm trying to poke holes in your idea. Oh, I love but, it. I, no, we need to be challenged. But like one of the things that I I know are that, that, that's beneficial about keeping it simple, stupid, right? Yep. One of the reasons why you only see nine nine menu items on a it's normal to see nine options on a menu today is because we know that that's a really easy path to to train people to keep your less food in my in uh, off shelves and in refrigerators and you know it's just, you keep your low your overhead low like cost low uh easier to train people on doing a few things really well than it is to have a massive menu yeah so now you have four people that you're training on eight different menus that's constantly changing 
do you see that being a challenge for operation? Like just like that's you're basically going back to that massive complex menu option again with four people. Is that going to be a challenge in today's workforce to to train four people on eight different menus that's constantly changing with new concepts? So this is one of the lessons I learned from private clubs is when you're in, uh, especially the higher end private clubs, uh, that the food, um, variety and, and, and changeability is very important because those folks who are members tend to eat there a lot, right? Yeah. So, so they can only eat the same thing so many times in a row. Um, seasonality doesn't mean you're changing the entire menu. It means you're taking a menu item concept and you're just evolving that item to utilize a new mix of ingredients. You're making a sandwich. You're making a soup. You're making a salad. You're making a chicken entree, but it's, it's, profile is changing it's the inherently the same still a chicken breast thing it's still a chicken breast is still but a, it's going to be with other ingredients that are available at that time correct correct okay. so we're not re-engineering retrying rebuilding the entire thing all the time and so if you know how and, and we have distilled this down to essentially it either goes in a combi therm oven to toast roast you know bake or it goes into a saute and into a bowl. So it's a rice bowl, it's a noodle bowl, it's uh, it's a salad or it's a soup, essentially. And so in that regard, we've really or simplified sandwich, it. Yeah, or a sandwich, yeah. right? And and, and a sa- building a sandwich is building a sandwich. It's building a salad uh, with two pieces of bread. If you can follow ABC one, <laughs> two, three, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna get it. So um it's understanding the fundamentals. And look, any line cook in the world understands the fundamentals of the systems the process yeah i'm sauteing this i'm grilling this i'm flat ironing this i'm sticking this in an oven we're going to reduce the number of cooking elements because we don't have fryers we don't have griddles right we, we we are using higher technology more stable technology i think cleaner and healthier technology uses to make better versions of those foods and and if you understand how to utilize the tools you can make anything and and all we have to do is make a decision on what ingredients in what combination at what volume that's just a recipe so if I'm a consumer and I'm walking up to one of your uh, your containers, yep. right, the shipping containers, am I looking at – am I walking up to one window that has eight brains, eight menus behind the, the counter? The box is called Nourish. That's okay. actually when I said we came up with the word Nourish last. I said, great, guys. We've created eight brands. Thank you for correcting uh, me. I'm going to go rent a brick-and-mortar space on the corner of A Street and Main Street. Um What's the sign outside say? <laughs> so that's how we came up with Nourish. And Nourish really to us uh, really explains it, right? Now, we are going to represent the brands, uh, whether on the window or certainly under the Nourish sign. Um, we're going to, we have to, we do have to educate the consumer, but not unlike a ghost kitchen or, or any other multi brand environment. People will understand pretty quickly this is essentially a micro food hall that all of the food follows the same rule set. They're making a promise to me as a consumer this is the more healthful version of that genre. Oh, and by the way, I can get multiple types of food. That's great. But we're we're removing all friction. This is we have our own app developed, built in, wonderful. Uh, you can do all of it into one basket, one delivery, etc. You can order online if you're the, on a desktop or any other platform like that. You, you can do curbside. You can do pickup. We will have a drive up window for pickup. Um, uh, I don't anticipate doing a true drive through because this is a little bit craftier uh, production of food. So we don't want to make a promise that you're going to sit in a drive through for three minutes uh, and get your food, but but it will certainly be within five to seven or eight minutes on the outside. And, but we're going to, you know, food lockers, um, we already have sourced a uh, robotic uh, 
server that can go from interior to exterior. That actually was surprising to me that that's actually a, a difficult problem to solve because of the sensors that they actually yeah. use. Um, but but we are going to get you your food any way you want it, anywhere you want it, as quickly but done as consistently and as healthfully as possible. Can I get it on DoorDash or Uber? Yeah, uh, you will be able to absolutely. And it doesn't show up as Nourish though. It shows up as the no. In that case, they are going to show up as the individual brands. That is going to be a challenge when it when you don't have control over that platform, right? So so we're really going to be focused on. Um, testing native delivery. We're going to do our own delivery within a mile and a half to two mile radius, depending on the community. Right. And we, and, or white label, you know, direct delivery partners that, that act on our behalf. You know, we outsource that maybe. And then, um, but we are going to do a lot of marketing and storytelling around who we are, what we are, where you find us, what we offer you, what our brand promises, what that experience expectation is. And, 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 you know, quite frankly, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to the value of the third-party delivery partners as a marketing. I think that those dollars, uh, that even if you negotiate that down and do a really good job of getting a lower percentage there, I think that that, that, that is a, as a spend of marketing dollars is much less efficient than how I can deploy those same dollars to tell my story to my consumer more directly. Yeah. Here's the thing. There, once people start using those third-party platforms, they're 80 percent plus more likely to stay with those platforms than they are to get off those platforms because there's habits associated with those platforms and you don't it's not easy to break consumer habit you have less than a 20 percent chance to offboard people or to migrate people from ordering through uber or whatever your doordash whatever it is they're not going to break habits to come support you and unfortunately that's what the data is showing like unless we really start to educate educate the consumer and we start tapping into that conscious capitalism of like you're really screwing us over consumer when you don't let us get the maximum profit that we can possibly get from feeding you um so as i'm saying this what's going through your mind what's going through my mind is um we are a community based purpose driven business model and I come from a place of making deep connections with the people that I serve. And so with that intent and that purpose-driven design, um, I don't need third-party platforms to try to find me people. Muck it up. We're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to tell, we have a lot of story to tell. We have a lot of pieces within this story. Every brand, every ingredient, every farmer, every rancher, every region, um, uh, every community we're serving and the people, the people that are working within our, our system and their stories. We, We have a lot of ways to connect with folks and tell them that we exist. And I think the delivery of that has really is very close to being a commodity. I, I think it is. There's enough people that know how to do that really, really well in the digital realm. And oh, by the way, there are still some old school ways to communicate and have great events and and have other reasons people find you that are so much tell your story and make connection at such a higher level that um, I I don't think getting the word out of what we are, who we are, and who we're for is going to be the hard part. Yeah, I think I think the um, the throttling of how much we tell and how many places and how loud we can be uh, is going to be the challenge. Yeah. I, we're not short on story to tell. And I know technology is a big part of yeah. your business plan. Le- leaning on technology to streamline and to, to really probably cut back on your labor expenses. I'm sure. assuming too. Um, what is the the technology that you're you're working with that has you really excited that you think all my listeners should be aware of to to kind of replicate the efficiencies that you're looking to maximize? 
Yeah, so uh, you saw Sweet Greens buy a company called Spice this last year. I've been trying to get them on the show. Yeah, Ever since Sweet Greens sucked them up. Uh, yeah, their lips are sealed. I think that's been put into which, a. No offense, Sweet Greens, but we're trying to transform the industry. If yeah. you want to make an impact on the industry, let's fucking share your knowledge. I'm yeah. sorry. So, Pardon me, Sweet Greens. So I'm going <laughs> to fucking share my knowledge. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Their competitor, there's only about. A handful. I think there's about five companies in the world that are basically building a similar version of that machine. And at the end of the day, it's an assembly robot, right? It's just taking a certain mix of ingredients, putting them into some platform to heat or mix them. Yeah, they're using, you know, yeah, cooking kettles, the rotating cooking kettles. Um, And that can be due for cold and hot. You can mix a salad that way. You can mix a cold bowl that way. Nerds over at MIT figured it out. Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) so, so there's, uh, there's another company called Bolt On that, um, that we have a relationship with and, and have designed um, and are working currently between them and, and actually Miso Robotics with Flippy as well. Now, Flippy is, Flippy, wingy, and chippy. Uh, they're, they're Who's Flippy? Flippy Flippy's the robot that flips burgers, uh, going to go into 100 white castles um, and, and flip burgers and does fries. It's using infrared to, to Yeah, to it's really a brain bread. and an eye, right? It's yeah. really an AI system that has an eye. Yeah. Um, and so it knows what is in what place and is just moving things around for you to a spec. Um, and, and they've made different versions of that to do different types of food. It's mostly frying and, and grilling, so, right? So far we mentioned bolts. We mentioned Flippy. Miso. That, those two together are our primary focus or right miso, now. Is Miso responsible? For miso Bolt? Robotics owns Flippy. Okay. Yeah, miso. that's the arm. Okay. And um, Bolt is separate. Bolt-on is a different company. Got it. Yeah. And that model is is imagine a, um, uh, a suburban size, maybe a little bit smaller than a suburban size box, that within that box, there's a refrigeration system, there is the cooking system, and then there's the assembly uh, system that gets it from refrigeration to cooking or assemb- or or putting it into a bowl if it's a cold item. And so we uh, are working with them w- to take our recipes and basically systematically you know, build them. And one of the things I really like about Bolt-On is they use a cartridge system. You take all of your raw ingredients and you put them in to this, uh, you know, about six or eight ounce size cartridge that is, um, for all intents and purposes, hermetically sealed. It's a low oxygen uh, vacuum environment. So the ingredients stay fresher longer and if they're properly refrigerated within the cartridge system. And it just basically takes all the cartridges needed to build that recipe. And in order, if it, let's say it's a, a chicken rice bowl, right? The rice is already made. And so it's going to take the chicken, put it in the kettle cooker. It's going to cook it. It's going to add the sauce or, uh, or healthful oil or whatever to get that chicken cooked and then while it's cooking it'll know when to add the first vegetable second vegetable all the vegetables so this is why rice. you only need four people in the this is why you only need four yeah. people this thing will take all the raw ingredients and make you a chopped chicken rice bowl or you know a, a you know a, a noodle bowl uh <clears throat> you know so a, anything to, like that to answer you. my question you're not gonna have to really be too concerned about training because you're um and i'm i'm making assumptions here but i'm assuming those four people are their job is probably mostly going to be to feed the machines. Yes. The ingredients, the raw ingredients in, they need. You're basically f- keeping your machine stocked. In the bolt-on version of Nourish, yeah. it's probably one human. Okay. It's probably one person. Because for right now, making a sandwich is the 
is the unlock. And and there are some companies out there. The machines are currently in the million plus range, but they're out there where actually two arms work together to make a sandwich. So it's coming. But for right now, there is the person who will maintain the machine, monitor all the systems, uh, fill the the machine. And then uh, for now, you know, make the uh, sandwich. But also, look, I don't want to ever eliminate the hospitality element there there needs to be a human element there needs to be somebody to ask questions i hate going to a website and i can't find a phone number and if i call a phone number nobody answers it there's like i've got questions your website can't answer and your chatbot is not going to anticipate there's job security for people who are either artists or who are emotionally intelligent like unfortunately it's going to get tough for the the technicians yeah the technicians are going to be the ones that are, are unfortunately scary like those are the people that robotics and technology are likely going to be replaced well, there, first. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to train up people, take them from in front of a hot fryer, a hot grill, flame, smoke, everything all day, and train them to do different jobs, to train them to maintain and become refrigeration techs. And, and, and This is going to create a lot of oper- higher paying, more secure absolutely. jobs for people. There is absolutely. That. But not everybody is a technician. No, no, you know not everybody saying? is. Um, so, But I think there's going to be opportunities for... Be- I think there's a place for artists because of that creative element uh, and like machines still can't create. They're just following through orders. The, you know? are, this is just assembly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you mentioned uh, bolt. Was it bolt on bolt on? We also mentioned Miso, which you said was flippy in three other two other. It, flippy is flippy. It's Miso robotics but makes an, uh, a multi-use arm that can do tasks and okay. it uses a brain and an eye, so a set of eyes. So it's one Arm it's that's one. Doing all these. Things. It's one technology. They they've just uh, Flippy is the burger flipping fry making brand name they've given that for that purpose functionality. Yeah, and it's cute because they did a deal with um, Buffalo Wild Wings, and so they call it Wingy because okay. it's frying wings. It. And now uh, just came out this week. They have a, a new test going with Chipotle to do their uh, chips to to actually fry their chips because Chipotle takes and makes fresh chips, uh, you know, tortilla chips. And so now they're calling that Chippy. Got it's it. the same so thing. It's all the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, What's it doing in Adawai to it? Got it. Yeah. So you're using Bolton and Flippy to be the majority of your production. Correct. Got it. Correct. Um, what about digitally? What tools and services are you leveraging? Yeah, so we're real big fans of data and data analytics. And so uh, consumer sentiment monitoring with things like Yext, um, uh, there's a company that not a lot of people know about, but a couple of the bigger franchise groups use called Hypersonics. Um, and, and so that's data analytic and and um, sort of uh, uh, smart um smart brain technology to tell you here's all the data here's what it means to turn you know big data into actionable uh intelligence um so those are a couple of things that we're real excited about working with um as we as we scale and certainly we have the opportunity to bring these to some of our consulting clients as well and test them out as well so so that was Yex, which is the consumer monitoring. What was the other one? Uh, Hypersonics. Hypersonics. Okay. Hypersonics is uh, is data analytics. So they take all of your uh, intelligent data, all of your consumer uh, actions, the the Behavior. sales data, all your P and L data, right? And it, they turn it into actionable. They tell you what it means. It gives it to you really in infographics, and 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 so you can make real decisions in real time. You know, every morning, you know, the executives and leadership can look at the different pieces they're responsible for and understand. Okay, we we upped 
the this menu item five cents yesterday. Here is the exact before and after. You know the the items are going down because yeah. that's we we've exceeded the the value prop of that by price point, et cetera. So so big data analytics turning into actionable intelligence. Can you believe we've been almost talking for two hours? It's that's crazy incredible. how fast it goes by, man. Uh, I'm really loving the, the conversation. Anything we haven't mentioned regarding um, nourish like elements technologies pieces of it that we need to understand before moving on no i think we've i think we've covered it pretty good i yeah. I, I think we've covered the the core elements that really matter to make it i think stand out and again i don't think we're doing anything that other people haven't thought of or that other people aren't trying i do think we're putting it together in a package with a mindset of lifting uh the humans up connecting with humans better bringing more healthful variety to people uh supporting the farmer and and looking at um creating new jobs through vertical farming on site or near site I, I think we're kind of putting a whole package together a little bit differently with a different intent mindset than maybe a lot of folks. By the way, it happens to be more profitable than any other restaurant model uh, we've seen uh, and it, for the most part. And so uh, there is there is that upside, but that yeah. just gives us more sustainability, more scalability. I do want to talk about the future of the industry. I know I was told to make sure to talk to you about the metaverse. Um, but before we move on to that, of what the futures looks like and what you think the industry needs to change, what, what about the industry needs to change? Um, I'm curious if we are interested in bringing to you our concept. Yes. Um, if we think our concept might work in your model, how do we approach you? How do we, or maybe we want to invest? Troy at krpusa.com. Just and, email me. Just reach out. What are you out. looking for when you reach, when people reach out to you? Yeah. So, I mean, right now we're not uh, air quotes looking, but you know, we have had multiple conversations with some existing brands. We have some clients that have brands that we think fit. Um, we are looking to help people mold their existing future models into more of, bring more of these elements to bear with them. Um, you know, we're just looking for people that believe the same thing for the same reason. If your intent is, I've got a great concept and a great idea or a great brand or, you know, and I'm already executing or not. Um, I think this model really, really makes sense. We're not here to own that worldwide. You know, we don't have an exclusive on what I've just described to you. Uh, we'll help you do it for you. Or if it makes sense and it works within our ecosystem and we can have, uh, you can bring that to the table, then then we're excited to talk so about it. So the helping you do that for you, that's more of the Kiwi partners. Yeah. Where like yeah. you're there to consult and yeah. help other people do this. Yeah. We're so, not we're not trying to monopolize this and mindset. And that's the mentality I yeah. think most people need. Have a mindset of abundance. Yeah. You know, like if you're trying to make change, if you're doing things that are, that are sustainable, that are going to be beneficial to society share your knowledge let's transform the industry let's 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 expedite this process of change i agree um so on that note of like change the future uh i gotta say uh uh, jason berkowitz said don't talk to troy and not have him talk about the metaverse which is something that i haven't really touched on yet on the show so what is the metaverse for, for the listeners who haven't really looked into what that is if you've ever played a live multiplayer game video game on the internet that's a metaverse right it's a so purpose-built game world of, game of or not a world of warcraft is sure yeah. yeah any of this any of the shooter games even the football and or sports games if you're if you're interacting live with people from all around the world um through a central server type environment uh that is a metaverse and so that concept is just getting out beyond gamification and is becoming uh more readily used in other industries. I, I can tell you one of our businesses is is in, uh, we, we have a partnership and, and have an EXP realty 
um, uh, brokerage. And so we're in the real estate side to help our customers and ourselves service our own real estate needs. And so um, EXP is a digital only brokerage. When it came to the market, it didn't build your local Remax or your local Keller Williams store that you would walk into and meet a realtor and, and sign your paperwork. It's all digital first. And so their corporate world headquarters is the only office there is, and it's fully digital in a metaverse that they built of their own. They built their own world, EXP world environment. And you know that was a huge eye-opener for me about four years ago when I could click into an app, essentially, go into their server, and I could um, I could be greeted by a concierge who could help me find where I needed to go. Or if I knew where I needed to go, I needed a problem solved or a question answered or uh, a form or, or uh, help with something within that ecosystem, I could click on that space and be transported virtually to that desk office person's environment. And yes, there are avatars and it's very gamified in that way. And it's this, uh, this false world that they've created visually. But at the end of the day, I didn't have to pick up the phone and wait on the phone for four hours or hour or whatever it is, depending on who you're calling. I didn't have to send an email and wait for somebody who gets 800 emails a day to answer my email. I literally could step up and yeah, I mean, maybe there's one or two people in front of me, but you get your question answered so fast. You get what you need so instantly in that environment that one person can service an entire state. You know, there's 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 five or six people that service the entire state of California, thousands, tens of thousands of realtors. Uh, they're able to service through this centralized online virtual world. And so that's an example of a metaverse. And now what we're starting to see, obviously, with Facebook developing meta and many, many other projects, many other people building purpose, singular purpose. There's metaverses being built for um, for artists, uh, you know, music artists, uh, visual artists to to manage and work in a community. But these are just communities community centers, essentially, on the online world. In the restaurant space, it's very, very interesting because we are moving to this more things in one building for a singular point of access, singular delivery. And we're doing that currently by ordering on an app manually with our phone. Some companies have done better to consolidate that and make that less effort. But how many taps does that take? How long does that take? We're moving towards a audio world we're moving towards speaking what you need to the alexas and whatnot of the world i never want to use my thumbs to communicate ever again exactly right so (laughs) now the world has carpal tunnel uh, at scale so we're going to eliminate that so because you can do that and because the visual representation of this is coming from the digital world and interacting with the physical world through ar augmented reality and yes of course there's virtual reality with the giant goggles but those are all the first um virtual reality projection contact lens is going into trials this year to be approved. Um, so we'll be sticking a contact in our eye that is a TV. Um, and so we'll be able to move with our eye actions, uh, the cursor and things like that. And it will recognize hand movements and things like that. We're going to a place where we can um, access the information. So I, I'm hungry. Um, you know, hey Alexa or hey Meta or whatever, uh, or blink, 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 and I ordered my food. Yeah. So, so we are going. You know, my concern. When we talk about the mediocre middle. My concern is 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 if you're running a restaurant and you're spending your pizzas and you're flipping your burgers today, um, in what world do you have time to even go learn any of this stuff and even or even be exposed or know about it? So, is your culture allowing for your younger? 
team members to tell you the way the world's coming because yeah. they've already been doing it, right? They've been on buying um, products on Pinterest and it Snapchat not for hard years. To figure out, right? Like, uh, most dummies can figure this out. Like, well, and there's companies coming that are going to do it for you. There's a there's a yeah. new company called De, uh, Devour, um, and and they're building the 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 commoditizing this process and system to make it as easy as a few clicks here and there. And that's what all of Facebook's trying to do. Facebook's trying to build a world in an environment where they essentially do all that work yeah. for you. So I, I actually made this comment a couple of times recently. It's this idea that um, technology is expanding at an exponential rate, improving yeah. at an exponential rate. What we forget is people don't evolve at an exponential rate. Right. And I think that we forget that the human variable is going to be, is going to serve as a governor, a firewall that like, what's the point of having this exponential technology? If the, the human can't interface with it. Right. So you're seeing this with Elon Musk trying to figure out how to like, can, like terrifying AI with, yeah, with yeah. The brain just, <laughs> and what you're talking about with like, I think the future of technology is how do we look at human, like humanity, humans and, the evolution of humans and how do we get technology to coexist and take the path of least resistance to to evolve around this this governor the human yeah of this thing that can't evolve at the same rate so it's gonna be interesting i think like it's gonna be i don't know i think the future there's a lot of money in the, the study of us and yeah. how we work in anthropology and i think that the, the answers to our future is in looking to our past and figuring out where we came from and what we are and how we evolved and how we Go with the grain, right? Because we're not going to change overnight. And this is one thing that doesn't come up a lot into this side. For people listening to all the crazy noises, we are in a brewery right now. We're actually going to be talking to, to Sed Moses in a little bit. They're starting to open things up. There's pinball behind yeah, me. Yeah, so you guys can hear. There's it. some fun games. I think we're going to yeah. go do some skee ball after yeah, this. Yeah, so um, this has been a great conversation. Before we go to the speed round, I do want to ask you, what do you think is broken with the industry or could be improved with the industry? So our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How do you think the industry needs to transform? Uh, we need to collaborate. Uh, I, the pandemic really helped with that when people came together under stress and pressure to create the independent hospitality coalitions and, and other organizations or other, you saw people create co-ops around delivery to get around these very high cost third party delivery, uh, solutions. Uh, I, I think collaboration, we've, we've all been in our own bubble, uh, as generally, especially if you're a one to three or five store operator, even a 10 store operator, you, know, you probably haven't done a lot of collaboration. You probably haven't spent a lot of time with your contemporaries. And I see that starting to change and that needs to change much faster uh, and at much higher scale. And, and we're seeing it. I think we're seeing a lot of interest and excitement, certainly things like metaverses and, and community environments where we can come together. Podcasts are amazing because you can be on, you can be slicing onions right now and listening to this and learning and, and learning yeah. and, and, and being exposed big challenge for the restaurant being challenged. Industry yeah. Is that like you couldn't go, get away and sit at a computer and watch a video no way. or read a book or like we didn't have time to le- we were so head down in this industry working 60 70 hour weeks that's the normal yeah. when do you have time to learn and to grow you're beat at the end of the day you don't want to go home and read a book no way. after a 14 hour shift who's going to do that there is a mindset piece to that and that is working on your business rather than in your business yeah. at some point you may have to take the hit step back hire that person that costs you the money that you would have paid yourself in doing that role and and really understand that in order for your business to not only grow or replicate potentially but 
actually be relevant and be here in five years, you have to at least start to understand ways that things are changing because the consumer is driving the demand yeah. and technology is meeting the problem. They're yep. meeting the demand. And if that means 15 minutes that you can get all your groceries, pharmacy and food uh, because you just realized what time it was and you need, you know, there's you've got to find a way no if you're an independent restaurant tour do you need to open a uh, metaverse storefront restaurant today no are you gonna be seeing people do that yes and there's always pioneers look the cell phone was around for 30 something years before steve jobs stood on a stage and said you can touch a glass screen yeah and now it's a computer instead of a phone uh you're right we we don't move at the speed of technology the human behavior doesn't but we are becoming more accustomed to instant instant solution and instant problem solving and instant learning. I mean, learning is the one of the biggest businesses online, right? Yeah. And, and so I do think that we are evolving at least in the speed and convenience and scale point of view. Um, so, so, so I think, I think it's going to be interesting. But I think to prove your point to, 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 to come full circle, it's the world, the restaurant world has been more complex than ever before. You need to be an expert at more than ever before. Yeah. And you can't do it alone. You have to collaborate. You have to break down your walls and realize that I can go much further with a group of people who yep. are experts than I could. I might be able to get there faster by myself or to a certain point, but I'll get nowhere as far as if, if I were to collaborate and to lean on the strengths of other people. And I love it when my guests reinforce the core values of Restaurant Unstoppable. That is the fifth core value. We collaborate. So I love that. You already mentioned we, we communicate. You mentioned the importance of communication earlier. Yep. And you also mentioned integrity. So... And that's all, all, I love all it. by, yeah, it just came organically. Yeah, yeah, man. I didn't, I didn't study the no. homework or anything. I love it. So, uh, one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a true speed round. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. And you've been hearing me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on my podcast for some time now. Uh, Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of these amazing new e-learning courses they have available right now. And again, a reminder, Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So back to these courses, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day too. You'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pine every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant's more geared towards the booze, if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, take the interactive course Spirits and Food Pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate the dining experience and help your check average. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real-life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes. And you receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O Bar Academy. Dot com. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I I personally love most about talk to the manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Empathy. What is your biggest weakness? Loud voice, uh, <laughs> overpowering Great for podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is one thing you ask when you're looking to hire? When you're building your team, what are you looking for? I'm looking for somebody to ask questions. What kind of questions do you like? I want them to want to know what we're about, what we, what, why we do what we do, uh, why we do it the way we do it. I, I, I it, it is a two week, two way conversation. I want interviewees to actually be the interviewers. Yeah. What is your biggest challenge today? Um, capital, uh, there's a, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on and there's a lot of, uh, people getting a lot of money for things just for the sake of getting money for them. And, uh, that part drives me nuts when you have great ideas and you know, it works and you can prove it works. So if you have money and you want to give it to Troy, say your email one more Troy at krpusa.com. Let's go change the world. (laughs) What is, uh, one code of conduct or behavior you've, you teach your team or teams in the past? Uh, Self-awareness. Self-awareness, you you, you got to have it. That's the peak of emotional intelligence. A lot of people are always talking about emotional intelligence. They always talk about like understanding the other person, but really, that like the like the next level emotional intelligence is: Do you understand yourself? Are you self-aware? And what you're projecting, and how you're projecting it, and, and what the perception of that projection might possibly be, yeah. and how are you going to throttle or tune that to ensure that the outcome is what you want. I love it. Share one uncommon standard of service or a way that you've taught your team to go above and beyond what's expected. Uh, it is very uncommon to ask servers to or people in the hospitality industry to slow down and actually connect as a human on a human level with their customer with their client um, to make it a relationship. And so we think that's very uncommon and we think that is an unlock to um, uh, greater loyalty, greater understanding and, and developing a more um, a more purposeful product ultimately for the consumer that, that is choosing your business. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? 
Uh, old school seven habits of highly effective people. New school. Uh, I'm big on Gary V's twelve and a half. I haven't read that one yet. It's it's incredible, and I'm sorry I didn't bring you one. I I will send you one. I promise. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm hopefully going to be connecting with Gary V's partners over at Flyfish Club sure. real soon. Um, so they're cool guys. Yeah, I can't wait to connect with them. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? They don't take their head out of the sand. They don't peek up and look around and realize that things around them have changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah faster I, than ever yeah, before. Just what we talked about. Yep. yep. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. Uh, certainly marketing, uh, re- realizing that, um, that is a arena that moves very, very quickly, adapts very quickly. The platforms that you want to communicate through uh, are ever changing. And so, um, something that, you know, I think a small business person is used to trying to communicate themselves, to own their brand, to tell their own story. I think you, we, we believe that there are people that do that much, much better. As long as you maintain connectivity and, and communicate very clearly what the message is meant to yep. be, let them do the work. So this question is about asking or helping good people connect with good people. So who is a company you're going to for your marketing? Um, so we, we are trying a lot of different ones, actually. Um, you know, I think, I think different companies do different things for different people. And because we have a client base uh, in the consulting side and because we're trying to build uh, something new, we're actually testing a lot and trying new Is things. Is there one product that's been outstanding so far? Nothing beyond... Okay, yeah. I will say this. Uh, I'm a big fan as long as it remains physically capable of being relevant and that is geofencing. Okay. I believe that if you own a sandwich shop, you should geofence not only your own sandwich shop so you know a little bit about who's coming and going. And there's some great companies doing other technologies like that. Um uh, but but I like geofencing the competition and or other like businesses that aren't directly competitors in your genre but are where your consumer is so you understand the behavior of your consumer. If I want to learn more about geofencing, who do I go to? Um, there's there's a bunch of companies out there. Uh, we've used some large ones. Um, CBS Radio uh, has a company, but there's a company called MNI, Meredith Corporation. It's a very big publisher. They have a digital uh, business. And, and so basically all of your major radio station and advertising providers, as well as all the big publishers out there, they've been collecting data on consumers for the entirety of their existence and they leverage that data through products. Um, digital products particularly are big today. Yeah. So Meredith Corporation, MNI, uh, is their digital product. Um, and, and there's others like that. If you just search geofence marketing, uh, you'll, you'll get a lot of folks that have that capability today. And that's Mike November India, MNI, yeah. Meredith Corporation. You got it. Um, okay. What is one t- piece of technology you've recently? We talked a lot about technology, but if there's one piece of technology that really excites you, uh, what is it? The smartphone in your pocket that allows you to tell your story, your way, anytime, any place, as often and across as many platforms as you'd like. The smartphone is the most powerful piece of technology we have in small business or in business in general to do a lot of fantastic things and you can do it from anywhere at any time. So really, um, 
I will give the credit to Sean Walshef <laughs> of Cali BBQ Media and Cali BBQ San Diego um, Barbecue uh, Brick and Mortar. That he tells you know smartphone storytelling, uh, and and we all need to do more of it and better at it. But uh, I'm a big fan of how versatile that smartphone can be in and as an education platform for yourself and as an information sharing platform yeah. to others. It is. Definitely a game changer. I have some thoughts on that, but I'll save them for another time. Uh, if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Be curious, be kind, and be aware. I've loved this conversation, man. You really have been good. We're over what in uh, two hours and 15 minutes of recording interview. Like this has been a, a lot of fun. I knew you were going to be good. I'm happy. We we're able to connect while I was in town. And uh, who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Yeah, I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of names I could throw you some very close ones to me, but, uh, I, I think that, um, right now and when for the future of what's about to happen and what's coming at scale, uh, you need to talk to Massimo DeMarco. Uh, he, he's CEO of Piestro, uh, the pizza making robot machine, but he's also co-founder of Miso Robotics, the flippy, uh, robot we've talked about. Uh, he's involved in a lot of other things that he can talk about, probably a lot of things he can't talk about. Um, but when you talk about a visionary who's thinking about the future and the impact on humanity, both positive and or how to combat the negative impacts of, say, job loss. He's really uh, thinking about the entire global ecosystem around the impacts of what he's involved in building. And so uh, I really think Massimo's and, and he's, an, he's from Milan. He's a northern Italian guy. He's a, he's a heck of a storyteller and, and a fun, fun person to listen to. So yeah. he'd be great. You did put him on our radar. We weren't able to connect on this trip, but I would absolutely love to get Massimo on the show for sure. And uh, how can we connect if we want to follow up with you? I know you mentioned the email a couple times, but any other uh, points of connection we should know about? Yeah, no, our website at krpusa.com. If you put a forward slash nourish on it, or you can just uh, find our brands on the button there. Uh, Pretty simple uh, interface to learn a little bit more about who we are, what we do, who's who's on our team and what we're what we're into. Um, We we don't uh, we don't project too much on what's coming next necessarily. But uh, and and we're certainly on the platforms. uh, If you want to follow nourish, it's nourish or nourish brands and you are I-S-H without the O. It's a misspell intentional to simplify it. But um, uh, LinkedIn uh, business pages for all of those things. Kiwi Restaurant Partners is on all of the platforms as well. Beautiful. We'll be sure to link to any of the tools, services, and technologies, resources mentioned on today's show. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. I say it at the beginning of every show. It's uh, in the title of today's show. So just whatever that number is restaurantstoppable.com slash that number for the summary. And uh, Troy, just thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your knowledge, your your vision for the future, you know, your mentorship. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Troy Hooper, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really great lessons around culture, really great lessons around just challenging the status quo, getting 
creative with all the options out there, uh, getting outside of the box when it comes to thinking about your restaurant concepts, uh, leveraging technology, especially robotics. And uh, Troy called out Massimo. We actually were were able to connect with Massimo. Uh, We get deeper into the world of robotics. So thank you for that lead, Troy. And um, this trip was a great, great trip. So many amazing episodes coming your way. This was just one of nine recordings in the past five days. Actually, as I'm recording this, I'm in Salt Lake City and we had our our final interview today. I'm actually in Park City. Uh, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to enjoy it and uh, just kind of soak it all in. But I do want to let you know that next week we're going to be hitting it hard uh, in the network. Um, Starting next week, we have on Monday, the 28th, Abhinav Kapoor is going to be joining us live in the network to do a Q&A if you're interested in Bicky. And then a bunch of the folks I had on the show this week while just traveling out west, um, a lot of us, are, we're, we're planning on doing a lot of follow-up, deep dive, uh, pulling back more layers. This is really the direction I want to go going forward with Restaurant Unstoppable. Um, we're just scratching the surface with these interviews. And really what these interviews, I want them to serve as just the icebreaker to develop a much longer, deeper relationship with these folks I'm getting on the show. So, so much great stuff coming your way. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.